When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. New friends and old friends. Friends who are joining us for the first time. People who have given up on the podcast because it's been too painful for the last couple months. Um, we, we get that. For instance, from the 910 from our tech subscribers, I'm glad the Buckeyes are back. I never stopped my tech subscription, but I did stop listening to the podcast because I was so tired of all the rumors and the wheel spinning. It was a dark time. I started listening to Bill Simmons. I felt like I was cheating on you guys, but now the Buckeyes are back, baby. We forgive you. Listen, this is an open podcast, right? We do not demand podcast monogamy here at Buckeye Talk. We want you to go out and explore your podcastness. But, you know, most nights, at the end of the night, we'd like to roll over and see you in the bed next to us. So that's where we are. And if you've been out and now you're back, welcome back because football is back. We talked a lot on the Emergency Wednesday pod about what's happening. October 24th restart for the Big Ten. We still don't have a much more information than we did on the Wednesday podcast because it's only like four hours later. But now it's the Thursday morning podcast and we're recording it Wednesday night. So we're going to go through more questions. We're going to talk some football off the top. But then in the second half of this, we do have to get into the fact that like this is going to be complicated. How exactly is it all going to work? We might go over some of the things we talked about on the Emergency Wednesday pod in a little more depth. We have a little more news about Wyatt Davis that you know, in four hours, a lot can change. There's still not a schedule out. So we're back and we're doing this and we appreciate you guys being with us. So let's start with this because I do think this is an important point. And again, we have talked to Gene Smith and Ryan Day and Christina Johnson and Kevin Warren and Big Ten people. We do have information we want to send along. This is from the 614. So it's been a really crazy month for me too. And I'm betting I missed a lot of stuff as it happened. Specifically, I missed when Fall football is canceled to Ryan Day is pushing hard for January football. And that turned into fall football is most likely happening. And we just need to hammer out the details. So no official announcement today. Was it around the time that President Trump spoke to Kevin Warren? Is that when things changed? Was it before that? Was it after that? 
could you outline a brief timeline of things that we know and the strong impressions that we had between the August cancellation and today? So I asked Ryan Day about that specifically on Wednesday. Ryan, when did it change for you? Because the day after the August 11th cancellation on August 12th, Ryan Day outlined the January plan. And he very clearly answered, and again, I just think people need to understand this. It was the, the advent of rapid daily testing and the availability of that and the ability to rely on that. That happened around late August. That changed everything. And I think that is when the discussion started to change. Nathan, do you believe that to be true, that 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 it seems to be a thing that multiple people have said, but that truly was the turning point of when this Big Ten push turned from how can we play sometime in 2021 in the winter or spring to how can we play this fall? Yeah, I, I think it is because I think all along, again, the people who actually make this decision, the presidents and the chancellors, were not really that moved by public sentiment. They didn't seem to have much regard for that, um, or at least not in a way that was going to change their decision. I think all along, this was a group that was scared by what they didn't know about what was going to be coming from the, the potential medical effects of, of this virus when you sent teams out there to play football. And once the, the rapid daily testing became a, a feasible thing, that's what I think pushed them across the line. And I, um, I know we, we stray from politics here, but I, I, someone is trying to take credit. <laughs> President Trump is trying to take credit for, for, or some credit for helping this happen. And I, I, I do want to say, yes, that timing wise, that is about when it happened. However, Without President Trump's help, the Pac-12 went out and got rapid daily testing. The Big 12 went out and got rapid daily testing. So I think that was already something that was going to be introduced and probably had been introduced into the Big Ten thinking before any of that interference – not interference, but that, that help happened. We, uh, we got a text from somebody today who said they just started subscribing today. And they appreciate our coverage on this. And one of the other reasons they started subscribing is because we said on the podcast that we don't like to bring politics in it. Um, and we don't. But I would say probably generally, I don't know that I would vote in the presidential election based on what happened here, right? That I think both sides politically have tried to make this a political issue. But I do think, I think if everything else would have happened, and Stephen, do you agree with this? I think if, the parents protest. I think if Ryan Day and Scott Frost and James Franklin and the coaches keep the pressure on, I think if the ADs all want to play, I think if the politicians get involved, but there is not sort of the advent of these more available rapid tests, I don't think the rest of it would have mattered. I think because the rapid tests exist, then maybe all of those other things were allowed to matter to various percentiles, right? A little bit of this, a little bit of that pushed them that way. But without the testing advancements, I don't, I don't think anything, I don't think we would be here today. Steven, do you agree with that? I do agree with that. And that's why I think Ryan Day was pushing so hard for the January plan, because without this new information and these new tests, it's just, with all due respect, people yelling at someone for making a decision that they then came out and said, this is the final decision. We are not playing in the fall. And then new things happened. They had new developments and they were able to you know, make a different decision. But I think Ryan Day also knew that unless there were some new developments of some things that actually mattered that would force somebody to make a different decision, his best bet was January. And we actually had some intel, too, that um, as much as the Thanksgiving plan was unpopular, when that first 
was kind of introduced into the the thought of all this that that was actually even um, more appealing to some people at Ohio State than the January plan because they thought that it was a even a greater chance that some of the guys would stick around. The NFL guys might stick around for that. So it, it, things 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 changed a lot. I mean, it, directly because of what they found out because of the testing. So let's just jump into that very quickly. Since we did the Emergency Wednesday pod, Wyatt Davis tweeted out that he's trying to come back. Nathan, what do we know about that? We do not have any more information about Sean Wade, but do we believe at this point that Wyatt Davis will, in fact, will be playing for Ohio State when they take the field October 24th? We can report for a fact that Wyatt Davis wants to play for Ohio State, and he said that. He said that on uh, something he tweeted out. Do I think he probably will play for Ohio State? Yes, I think he probably will. There's some due diligence that has to happen here in terms of NCAA eligibility. He did opt out last Friday, just opting out, just declaring for the draft. That's not so formal that it's something you have to walk back. It's about what relationships did you have, professional relationships with agents, other representatives, people who might have given you money or other benefits, that stuff, I's have to be dotted, T's have to be crossed. There's a, there's a process you can go through if a violation did occur. Chase Young went through it last year. That's why he had to miss two games, but was also why he got reinstated to come back. You have to, the Ohio State would have to declare White Davis ineligible, then they'd appeal to the, the student athlete um, reinstatement uh, board or whatever you want to committee, whatever you want to call them. And then there's a process that they go through and, and some restitution is made or some other uh, penalty is assessed and then you move on. So um, I think it's, especially under these circumstances, as lenient as the NCAA has, uh, I hesitate to say this, but as lenient as they have sort of been towards things in this sphere in the last couple of years, I think under these circumstances on this short a period of time, if the benefits are not something significant, if, if there were any to begin with, I would think that he gets granted eligibility to, to play this fall. So I think it's very – I would say, what, like 90-something percent that White Davis plays football for Ohio State this fall. I'll be shocked if he doesn't play, if he doesn't get to play. Yeah. The, the big – the NCAA – I'm not sure the NCAA is lenient. I don't think that the president's made a medical safety decision based on public pressure. The NCAA bows to public pressure all right. the time. Mm-hmm. And if they try to keep Wyatt Davis from playing because the Big Ten didn't talk to anybody for a month – after make a deci- making a decision that directly affected Wyatt Davis's life, and Wyatt Davis was like, "Hey, uh, hey guys, hey guys, hey Kev, um, do, like, do you guys know if we're gonna play?" And Kevin Warren was like, "What?" And Wyatt Davis was like, "I'm gonna leave if you don't tell me something." And Kevin Warren was like, "I can't, I can't hear you." And he left. They're gonna get so much crap, including here on Buckeye Talk, that they're gonna let him back in. So just so people know how this works, a lot of times when guys leave and they start preparing for the draft and they sign with an agent, the agent just like helps you get set up in an apartment. You start to work out trading facilities. They start to pay for some of your expenses, you know, that you then, they take that off once you get drafted and sign and that kind of thing. So I don't know anything about what happened with Wyatt Davis, but it's possible that maybe they started that process, but then you just like pay back the money that you got. And the NCAA, the thing that just makes sure as a fan, this can be confusing sometimes, you might hear at some point, as Nathan just said, that Wyatt Davis was declared ineligible. And that's just a paperwork move because they declare you ineligible while you're like paying back the money. And then as soon as it happens, you're eligible again. So don't freak out if you hear that. I think it's 99.9% that he takes the field October 24th. 
But also, it hasn't even been a week yet. It's been like four days. It, how much could he have really done in four two years? There's a lot of steps there, but how much could he have really done in four days, especially with – this is a kid from California, and California's kind of on fire right now. So it's not – you know, he you wasn't now – do you have Venmo? I can Venmo you fifty thousand dollars. I mean, as far as like, as far as like, that's for, can you can you actually Venmo for fifty thousand dollars? A lot of money. I would but imagine. I, I'm just, when I, I bought I'm this house, saying, I didn't take a suitcase full of cash over to the realtor <laughs> office and what buy I'm saying it. I had is that send them a wire the, transfer. That's a lot of steps for basically. It's been a weekend since he's. It's you know. I don't think it's a timing like three issue. Business right? days. I think yeah. it's what happened. What and, and when you do something, listen, when you start, it's like, okay, we did this. So, I mean, the issue is probably whatever happened, it can be undone and he should be fine. Uh, I want to read some things as people are sort of like dealing with the re-entry, right? I don't want anyone to get the bends as a fan of like, you, you were floating along like in the boat and then someone scra- strapped a, a scuba tube on your what's that scuba tube what do you call it i don't know like when you scuba dive you have an air tank on your back and they threw you off the edge of the boat and they said no football until january and you sunk down into the dark depths of the sea and now they sent like a little rope down into the dark depths and on the rope it says football is back and you're like oh my god football is back but if you come up too fast you're gonna get the bends and you're gonna die so relax <laughs> like take your time you're not actually going to die. <laughs> you can die from the bend. That's why I don't scuba dive. I mean, there's a thousand reasons I don't scuba dive, but that's one of them. Also, I don't want to see fish. I'm fine. I don't need to see fish. I can, that's what an aquarium's for. I want to see a fish behind a fence. I don't need to be in there with it. So this is from the 304. I'm what? so excited to get some closure and finality. I'm sick of the Big Ten initial rush to fold and then the ensuing certainty for weeks. Glad to get back to talking football and game prep. Food brackets are fun, but only when they are not the primary discussion of the day, LOL. So that's like, you know, I get it. Like, yeah, we like to mix in the nonsense when it's all nonsense all the time. That's like, that's like a little bit harder. This from the 317, not a question, but I hope we can all move beyond the anger and frustration with the leadership of the, the leadership of the big 10. We should not forgive and forget the lack of leadership displayed by Kevin Warren and company. And I hope this follows him for the rest of his career. However, I feel like his response to Doug's direct question and his lack of answer on today's Zoom call was a perfect way to tie a bow on the fact that players, coaches, families will get no apology or remorse from the arrogant leaders. Let's all move on and focus on what matters. The fact that Ohio State football is back and the players get to chase a natty. So, Chasing the natty, that means Ohio State has to go through the Big Ten, and that means what is happening with other Big Ten teams matters. So what is happening with other Big Ten teams from the 614? On the pod or in an article, can we get a summary of all the significant players who have opted out in the Big Ten and discuss whether any of them come back in view of today's news? I'm equally curious about the likes of Micah Parsons and Rondale Moore as I am about the two big Ohio State guys. So, Steven, mm-hmm. this has been something we've talked about on the podcast, the Big Ten guys who have opted out. There was another big opt-out at Michigan today, but let's deal with that separately because that's not actually an opt-out. 
That's just a transfer. Let's talk about the guys who were definitely going to be good players in the conference this fall and whether any of them are maybe changing their minds. Yeah, so there were 19 guys who had opted out in the Big Ten as of, you know, before today happened. When you add in Sean Wade and Wyatt Davis. Pat Fryer moved to tight end out of Penn State. He then came up when uh, James Franklin was on the Big Ten Network doing an interview. He actually came in the office with James Franklin and actually clarified that the reports about him um, choosing to opt out were not correct. He is, in fact, playing this year. So of the guys who were on that list of reportedly – you know, opted out. He's the only one who has opted back in and it will be playing in 2020. Everybody else on the list, guys like Micah Parsons, guys like Rashad Bateman, you know, Rondell Moore, Jordan Reed out of Michigan State. Those guys are still opted out, but there have been some reports around Rondell, about Rondell Moore and Purdue wanting to, you know, bring him back into the fold. But it, it'll be interesting. There's you know, a lot of the best players in the Big Ten who don't play for Ohio State opted out. It'll be interesting over the next couple of weeks. Now that there's actually some concrete evidence of a season and what's going to happen, if guys like Rondo Moore or Michael Parsons will out back in. I don't think Michael Parsons is coming back. That guy's no. not. Um, he opted so, out way early, and it wasn't just because of a lack of communication in the Big Ten. That was literally because he just didn't want to play because of COVID. All those and, guys were opting out back when the decision was made. Rondo Moore, Rashad Bateman, uh, yeah. Parsons, like all those guys opted out in like a week. Uh, and it was over a month ago now. So we were talking before about this timeline with Wyatt Davis. Those guys have had a lot more time to get those Venmo payments from Doug. Should I give out my Venmo? I don't even really know how Venmo works. Why do you always on Venmo have to explain in the Venmo, like what the reason for the money exchange is? I don't want to be telling people my business. I think, I don't want no, I think it's more so people remember why they're getting money from somebody. But I don't like the fact that Venmo has a timeline, like it's a social media account. Yeah, but like I can see what everybody else is doing. Like, yeah, I, see- I don't like that. It's that's why I like Cash App. You don't see any of that. I'm a PayPal guy, and um, there are some people in my poker ring that uh, only use Venmo, and it's added incentive not to lose money at poker because then I have to like go through a third party to like launder my poker money to them via Venmo. I, I'm not. I'm not trying to give secrets away, but it's like every now and then I'll see like. Landis and his like his fiance are like sending money back and forth based on like who paid for dinner that night. And I'm like, why should I have access to that information? And then people are always putting in fake things of like, well, here's what, here's what it was. It was for, you know, for a kidnapping fee or whatever. And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I do that. Yeah. We do that just to keep people just stay out of our business. We used to do that back in the day with checks. You put like not drugs in the memo. For real? Is that a thing? I didn't, you know, I think yeah. I'm the last generation that learned how to write checks, and yet I've never actually written a check in real life. You know what's a good way to pay for stuff? Cold, hard American cash. It's dirty, cash though. King. It's dirty, uh, though. You know how many people's dirty. hands have been on a dollar bill? You know how many people's hands have been on a dollar bill? That's true. In the age of that may be that may be the end of money. COVID may Literally. be the end of money. We've already done on this podcast how I like to have change in my change basket, so we don't have to go down that road. Um Here's an interesting, again, don't get the bends. Ease back in. Ease back in. You have until October 24th from the 610. Should I feel better about this? Obviously, I want to watch what could be one of the best Ohio State teams of my lifetime. But I'm also still not convinced that playing intercollegiate athletics is a good idea. Will I watch the games? Yes, almost definitely. But I'm more uneasy than celebratory today. I think that is a very reasonable thing, and I feel that. And here's 
my advice, which again, I don't know. Why would anyone care what I think? But it's your fault for listening to the podcast. In life, all of us can get very wound up about things that we have no control over. So as much as you cared about this, you didn't restart Big Ten football. You, it's not your decision that's putting, putting this on the line. And people, you have to worry about what you do, right? And that's something else that I want to get into later because Gene Smith had a message for the media that I think is something that's really important to think about. And I want to get into what's going on at Wisconsin. And there's a lot of stuff around college football games and people gathering that I think we do need to talk about. So I would just let it go. I totally get feeling uneasy, but it's not your decision. If there's a player who really doesn't want to play, that player can opt out. Otherwise the players and the families accept the risk. And, and I will say this, and, and I, I'm not trying to be like a Debbie down on this, but like now it's back, right? So now it's back and it is now up to us in the media to keep Ohio state accountable for their safety protocols and for their numbers. And we will be, I think we need to be up there, but again, about why are you not releasing your football numbers? I think that matters more than ever now. And I think we need to be on top of that. And we will be on top of that. That's our job. That's not your job. So we're all uneasy about a lot of things in our own lives about COVID-19. Make your own personal decisions about your own personal safety. But I don't think that you can feel responsible or have a knot in your stomach for the decisions that are out of your control. Enjoy football. Cross your fingers. Say a little prayer for everybody out there. Hope that everybody does their absolute best, but then just enjoy it because it's not your fault and it's not your decision and it's not your responsibility. But Nathan, do you get that? Do you get a fan who feels that way today? 100%. Um, I think it's a completely reasonable thing to, to, to feel that way. And I think it, it's, it was because we were sitting here talking over the past few days about how reasonable it seemed that there might be presidents and chancellors who still had great reservations or might still not want to play football this fall. And I, I think there were, there were scientific reasons. Even after you hear everything today, you could still come up with scientific reasons why you think it's not a good idea. I, I, I totally understand that. I, I guess my advice would be similar to yours. I, I think there are people who already are kind of doing this, even if they don't realize it, right? When it comes to CTE, when it comes to other things, this is a, a, a sport that's dangerous. And this is, that's, it's totally different once directly associated with football in a way that this isn't, but it's still something you're already kind of doing. You're already sort of a lot of times overlooking the dangers of things that we do on a day-to-day -day basis or things we enjoy frequently um, in order to, to keep enjoying them. So uh, this just kind of goes, at least for this next year, until they come up with a vaccine, this goes on that list. So, okay, I want to move to this. And, and again, nobody cares what we think, but somebody asked from the 601, what was your reaction when the news came out across the, the, the world that Big Ten football was back. Were you relieved? Were you excited? Or was it just more podcast content? Steven, when this word finally came down on Wednesday, how did you react? I was happy. I mean, we cover football for a living. And for a second there, we weren't really sure when we were going to be able to do that again, actually cover football. So I was happy about it, but also intrigued because, you know, to what we were just talking about, when you look at how the NFL is handling some things, MLB, the NBA is in the bubble, and then I've been to a high school football game so far this fall, you know, college football is kind of stuck in the middle of those two situations there where you know, these are kids, but they're also 
adults at the same time who don't necessarily have a voice in all this. And I mean, we'll get into how strict some of these rules are that they have to follow. It's just, they're not in a bubble. And it just feels like the big 10 more than any other conference has made this the closest thing to a bubble for these kids without it actually being a bubble. And so while you're excited that football is back, you have to take it with a grain of salt because it almost seems like, you know, it can be snatched away just as quickly as it was given, given out. Nathan, how'd you feel? Well, I was definitely relieved to finally be done with this like stakeout that I was on for, of, of Twitter and my phone for um, the past what week. It just seemed like you couldn't leave your, your devices alone for more than a few seconds because something could be coming. Somebody could be finally texting you back or some news could be breaking. So I was definitely glad to get some detachment from that. I have, not really yet, but when I finally get to go to bed tonight and, and go into tomorrow. Um, but beyond that, I, I also uh, kind of I, I impressed isn't the right word as far as the Big Ten, but also like I guess uh, relieved there too that they they aren't taking the easy way out on bringing the sport back. And we still, like I said, I've said all along, like just because they've established, we should know this from what happened the first time, right? Just because they've established a schedule doesn't mean they actually get to opening day. So the, the, the parameters that they've put down make it not easy to even get to opening day, assuming that, you know, they, they believe in the testing. I think the testing, there's science there to back that up, but we don't know for sure they even get to opening day. We don't know for sure they get through a season and they were willing to um, make that really hard on themselves as long as they follow through and, and hold themselves accountable. And then people like us do as well. So since the question is how we reacted is I, my reaction was more along the lines of like more podcast content because limbo sucked. As we said before, we couldn't, we couldn't talk about something else because this was hovering, but people were sick of us talking about this. So if they just, if they would have announced today, big 10 football is restarting on January 3rd right? At least we could have moved on. We covering the team, you as fans, everybody else, at least you could move on. Okay. Now here on this podcast, we're going to lean into the retalkables. We have great big picture stuff that we can get into. We can reassess the state of the program in a million different ways. We can talk about, okay, who are you going to, who are you going to watch this fall instead of Ohio state? But once we were trapped for a month and especially the last couple of weeks, I mean, that's just, that's a hard way to live because you feel like you can't, you can't move forward. And so I was just glad for resolution as, as someone who covers this, but also then I think the parents, the players, you guys as listeners, tech subscribers, everybody needed resolution. So I think in the end, and that's the thing, as we've said before, and we're going to repeat ourselves a lot. And that's another good thing about this. We, we're going to stop repeating ourselves about this. <laughs> we can move back on to repeating ourselves about the stuff I usually repeat about myself. People say they want an answer. You actually want the answer that you want. So, like, people, if, if they said, we have a resolution, it's January 3rd, we would not be having, like, a, oh, thank goodness they finally announced it. Everybody's so happy about resolution. People would be going nuts because that's not what you wanted. But it would have taken us out of limbo. And at some point, that, that would have been better than whatever this was for the last couple weeks. All right, listen to this. Hold on to your butts. Listen to this question, Stephen and Nathan. I'm not sure you're going to be able to answer this because it's basically just about football. Do you remember that one? Do you remember? That's, do you guys want to play name that Buckeye? Should we run through the whole roster and see if you guys can name <laughs> all 85 scholarship players? It's been so long. 
that uh, Justin, Justin, uh, yeah. Eight, from the 859, one unintended benefit from all of this mess is that Ohio State will have a fully healthy Trey Sermon, Master Teague, two-headed rushing attack behind that nasty offensive line. That was like a huge thing. Trey Sermon, Marcus Crowley, Master Teague, all coming off injuries. Master Teague's injury happened during spring football. How can he get back? That Achilles injury, can you get back by September? These guys aren't having to play football until October 24th. Is this one good, Stephen, as the texter called it, an unintended benefit that that Ohio State backfield got an extra month and a half to heal up? Yeah, I mean, it is. And it's it didn't work with Mike Weber and J.K. Dobbins. So we're going to throw that out of the window. But I think this is a proper look at, you know, what Ohio State maybe wants to do in the future with these two back systems, the way we've seen Georgia do it. That's why they went out and got two 2021 running backs in Evan Pryor and Travion Henderson. Now that Trey Sermon is probably fully 100% healthy, he just got his black stripe taken off on Wednesday. Matt, we're just going to assume that Master Teague is 100% healthy, or they both will be by the time they, they get to that October 23rd date in that first game. We're going to get a, a first look at what that two back system looks like with two back, but when but neither one is probably the dominant back, but you've got two guys that you can rotate and kind of use sparingly, and maybe they'll get 13 to 14 carries a piece instead of just having one guy carry it 30 times in big games. We're going to get a first real good look at what that system looks like under Ryan Day. God, it does feel good to talk about football again because I want to make it clear, this is not a plan. They stumbled into this because they screwed the recruiting up for a year. Yeah. So like, it's not like this is their great master plan of having a share of the backfield load. It's they don't have a number one back. They had to get a guy from Oklahoma. They had to get a guy who was, you know, Master Teague is fine. I mean, he's not Ezekiel Elliott. He's not J.K. Dobbins. If they had J.K. Dobbins, if J.K. Dobbins had come back, they wouldn't have two backs. They'd be right handing the ball to one guy. Now, Trevion Henderson and Evan Pryor, if that ends up being a two-back system, that is a plan. That I'll give credit for. This is, whoops, this is scramble mode. So, oh, whoa, it's back. I feel it. I'm criticizing Tony Alford's recruiting. <laughs> the world is normal. Oh, can we talk about Corey Dennis? Oh, I'm, I'm working a part of my body. I haven't worked in like six weeks. I can, this is, this feels right. Oh, can we talk about Bill Davis? What? Oh boy, I missed it. Oh, I miss being a jerk. <laughs> I'm so happy. Now I'm going to shed tears of joy. That just made it real. It's like a jump shot. It never really goes away, but you're always happy when you see one go in. I never realized. I didn't realize how much I missed it because it was too, there was too much real world stuff to talk about. I couldn't just complain about their backfield rotation. Oh, Nathan, they were, I'm like over-exaggerating, but only like 20%. I actually feel something different inside my body. Uh, Buckeye talk. I feel something different inside my body. Nathan, like that's a real thing, right? I mean, we were actually quite curious about who would be ready September 3rd and who wouldn't be ready. And we had talked a lot in the past about when tough Borland had an Achilles injury and he came back and he played in the early in the season, but he didn't look like himself for a while. Um, it really feels like, especially fatigue that man, like, like waiting another seven weeks to play compared to September 3rd for Teague, that, that really might be a huge difference. Yeah. And I, I, I don't know that I'd say that I assume they're both hundred percent. I would say that I would assume that neither of them will be limited because of their injury. 
And then you got to throw Marcus Crowley in there too, the guy who's coming off of a torn ACL who now gets even more time. I mean, that's a significant surgery, and he gets even more time to come back and repair. It's going to be almost a full year from the time he had the the um, the injury and in the, in when he's finally, you know, when they finally restart this season, assuming they can. So, uh, it, yeah, I mean, this we, we we had real concerns about who was actually going to be able to line up as a running back on September 3rd or at or in the game at Oregon. Um, yeah, we, we knew that – or we had a pretty good feeling that Sermon would be able to play it to some extent, but would he be on a full load or would he have to hold back a little bit? Does that mean that someone like Steel Chambers or even farther down the depth chart was going to have to get a lot of carries? And now I think, uh, like Steven's right, it does become more likely that you can put your two best guys out there for the the bulk of the carries, if not all of them. Even if it's not on purpose, which you're right, they're, they're not in this situation because they planned it. But you're here now, and it's a good chance to see how it would work when now that you are starting to, starting to plan for it going forward with guys like Travion Henderson and Evan Pryor, this is a good season to see if it's something that can work. All right, we'll take a quick break on Buckeye Talk. We're going to talk about why there aren't going to be fans in the stands, and I don't know, maybe could that change? We're going to talk about whether the mental torture of the last couple of weeks will somehow be used as a motivator for Ohio State. We're going to talk about the hype of a potential Ohio State Clemson rematch. We're going to talk about Kerry Combs. And then we're going to get into some more specifics about dealing with COVID-19. So we want to talk some football, but again, we're easing in. We do have to talk about the other serious stuff, but we want to go back and forth and we want to make sure we're treating the real world issue. But the whole point of this is, man, this is football. And this is supposed to be fun. Let's have some more fun right after this on Buckeye Talk. All right, back on Buckeye Talk. Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means. Again, if you're a new listener or an old listener who's back, thanks for coming aboard. We did add a couple subscribers on Wednesday. We added a couple subscribers, so we appreciate that. 614-350-3315 to try the texts. If you're kind of new and you don't know what's up, it's like we send out information plus our analysis of the information. It comes into your phone like a text from a friend. You don't have to go look for it. When it's a busy day, we might send six or eight. When it's a normal day, it's more like two or three or four, maybe five. Steven sends out some recruiting updates. I'm like, you talk to a recruit, what's an interesting they said? Interesting thing they said, hey, we're going to write about it later, but here it is right now. I just got off the phone with the kid. Um, just information in your phone. You don't have to go scan the world. And, and when we hear things from interviews, we get it to you immediately. You don't have to wait for us to write. 614-350-3315 for a 14-day free trial. Nathan, I think we talked about this on the Emergency Wednesday pod, but I think it's worth revisiting again. And I know you did write about this for the site at cleveland.com. This is from the 619. Did they list any reasons why fans cannot attend games? I know parents can, but if Notre Dame can put 11,000 people in the stadium, why can't Ohio State put at least that many in, if not more? Did anybody ask that question? What's up with this decision-making process? And again, at the moment, no fans across the Big Ten for the whole season. Right. So the biggest thing is right now that there's a huge variance from across the conference as to what is allowed by local standards. Um, at Ohio State, they said that they were that their plan was a 20% capacity. Well, in Ohio right now, actually, you're limited to 1,500 people at outdoor events. Uh, there was an exemption, a variance, I think they called it, that was granted by the governor to give the Bengals and Browns up to 6,000 for their home games. 
but that's still far below what Ohio State was planning to have. But if you go to New Jersey, which I guess <laughs> fill in your joke there, <laughs> if you go to New Jersey, you can only have, I think, 500 people right now at even an outdoor event, um, which I know Rutgers games already look pretty sparse, but that would be getting really ridiculous. So that starts to create a pretty inequitable playing conditions situation across the conference i don't know how much that should be a a thing that people care about but i think in this case it was they didn't say it formally but i think that was one of the reasons why they decided for right now to have this policy where it's like just family for players and staff now christina m johnson the ohio state president did say that if the science keeps progressing in a positive direction that they can take that decision back to the council and the council could then decide to ease that restriction that maybe they would start to allow some kind of fans, but it would be another medically based decision. Nathan, do you believe that that decision about sort of trying to keep it uniform and by just saying nobody because the rules across the States are different. Is that more about like home field advantage and the size of the crowd you can have, or is it more about the money that the home team would make off ticket sales and now they're going to get some money that somebody else can't get as much money, or is it both? It's probably a little bit of both, but I think that that's an actually a really good point that you would have some schools that would be able to recoup um, significant resources that then their their people in the conference. Now that's already happening, obviously, right? When Ohio State gets to have a hundred thousand people and Rutgers has like whatever it has for a game, that only further increases the difference between Ohio State and Rutgers when it comes to football competition, but. that's in 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 a normal year in theory everybody has kind of the same potential to draw a big crowd just some teams don't uh, limited to the size of their stadium or how bad their team stinks here it would be something out of their control completely so I think that that probably is a case here I I think there it would have created um, a pretty inequitable situation from in a number of ways so they just avoided it but i think it makes sense too to keep it on the list of things to revisit because if a month from now if uh, if new jersey has um pulled away its restrictions if ohio has pulled away its restrictions uh, i think it starts to become a thing where you can start to have another you revise the uniform policy allow still small crowds but allow people to have something you can you know student or season ticket holders students whatever could come to the games so as from the 630, a follow-up is, will they re- down the road revisit fans in the stands, what you're talking about? I bet they do. I bet today, and we've talked about this a lot, there were certain things that you had to be able to say today, and there were certain things that you didn't have to quite say today, right? So for instance, they said October 24th, they said they'll get the schedules out by the end of the week. This is something that you can say today, and you can keep talking about it, and I think they might change their mind by October 24th. I think, yeah. I think that's very possible. And I think, for instance, the NFL right now, the NFL is one big, great uniform body, but they still have to abide by the state guidelines. And so the, the guidelines are very different. I think you can have more fans, I think, like in games in Florida or Texas than you can in Ohio. But, they, but the NFL didn't say, well, because Ohio said only 6,000, then you can only have 6,000 at a Cowboys game. You can do whatever you can do. And so I think there would be a way, A, I don't think the home field advantage thing should be a reason to keep people out, right? I mean, it's for the people who want to be there. Listen, it's going to be 
it's going to be a fraction of the normal anyway. And I think there would be a way to figure out, listen, if you normally get your home tickets, you make money off that. If we're in a world, let's pool all the money just for this year so that everybody puts their ticket revenue in one big pile and we split it 14 ways so that Rutgers doesn't say, hey, man, it's stricter for us. We don't have any money. And, and then it motivates somehow another state to be like, hey, well, let's let 40,000 in so that we can fund the lacrosse program because that's what we're talking about here. Ticket, and Nathan, you've covered this and you're reporting about the money. Ticket revenue is a huge part of where schools make money off football. And as we know, football drives everything. So I think they could spend the next month coming up with a solution. And I bet we will see some portion of Big Ten fans in the stands at some point this year. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. I think it could be revisited as, as early as before the season opener too. All right, let's get into this because this is fun football talk. From the 614, I just want to hear a discussion on how hyped an Ohio State-Clemson rematch in the championship would be. It sort of just feels inevitable that this Fields versus Lawrence saga ends in a rematch on the big stage in the finals. Growing up 15 minutes away from each other, being number one and number two in their recruiting class, the rematch storyline, the fact that both will be competing to be the first pick in the draft, the fact we didn't even know if we'd have a college football season to begin with, the cancellation and reinstallation saga of the Big Ten, I'm getting hyped just thinking about it. Could it be the most hyped college football game of all time? So again, whenever I hear this, I hear Tom Rinaldi's voice in my head. And Stephen, Tom Rinaldi has already written his opening paragraph. A pandemic unlike any other. A rematch uncertain. A rivalry unfinished. Tonight, it all comes full circle. Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, right. Insert Imagine Dragons song. Yeah, Imagine Dragons. Imagine Dragons. Can you write a special song called Justin and Trevor? The rematch. Can you write a song? Like, this is, I mean, I know people, I don't think we've done it. Nathan, did you write a 1918 pandemic story? I don't think you did, did you? No. We are not. We are not as much into the history at Cleveland.com because, like, as our boss points out, like, nobody cares about history. <laughs> people would rather read about, like, what might happen. It's like, you know what happened 100 years ago, and it's like, I don't know. I wasn't there. I don't care. Tune in for our next episode of the Re- Retalkables. Yep. Oh, shit. Uh, <laughs> that was those were those were more desperate times football's back man the heck with the past <laughs> last week <laughs> so but but the point is um yeah right i mean like there I, I i feel i feel what this 614 texture is feeling that it it felt like i mean we were on that justin and trevor path and then it was stopped and now it's back again and you know, I don't believe in destiny and that kind of thing. But Stephen, I don't know, like if it happens, it, we are going to fold everything that happened in this college football season into this. And Justin Fields, and I hope he sits down with us. My God, I hope we get to talk to Justin Fields soon. I mean, what he must have gone through and the texture didn't even include the Heisman race. I mean, Heisman yeah. race, race to be number one, race to win the national championship. Two guys who played 15 minutes away from each other. One was on schedule to play this year. One wasn't both fought together for social justice 
Justin Fields fought for the season to be played. Both emerged as leaders in college football through the course of this. I mean, it's easy to say things like most hyped college football game ever, but I mean, for Ohio State fans, and man, these are two really good teams and two really good players. I totally get what this texture is saying, right, Steven? Yeah, because you could probably make the argument if everything were normal. That's that's why. The, the added thing of we're in a pandemic and we weren't sure if Justin Fields was ever going to play in an Ohio State uniform again adds to it in a way that maybe when you're thinking the USC-Texas National Championship game and how hyped that was going throughout the season, that didn't have that. You know, there was no situation where, you know, Matt Lenard and Reggie Bush were going to play and, you know, Vince Young, we weren't sure if he was going to get on the field or not. That year. So the, the added part of the pandemic and everything that has happened over the last nine months you can probably make the argument that, yeah, this might be the most game because it's like we got to the national championship game and we didn't think we were going to get that. And on top of that, this is an historical matchup. Let's talk about this. And, and, and I do think it's the idea of like sort of how this whole pandemic thing and the cancellation and reinstallation is sort of going to play into the, the storyline of the season. Andy in the 5-8-0. As coaches like to do, I can see Ryan Day and other Big Ten coaches using this ordeal – the players have persevered through as a motivator, especially later in the season when it comes to playing teams outside the conference in the playoff and the bowl season. Thoughts on if the Big Ten's journey back to games can be spun into a motivating edge for Ohio State. And related from the 4-4-0, having to play nine straight games sucks, but do you see any advantage that Ohio State players might have over a potential playoff opponent due to the mental torture? they endured from not having a season and then the weeks of rumors of its return. The fact that these dudes almost got their season stolen from them has to light a bigger fire than before. Nathan, coaches love this kind of stuff. How do you think Ryan Day might use it? And how do you think it may or may not matter? I don't know. I think coaches love it sometimes because it can go both ways, right? If they win a national championship, they'll say, oh, it's because of how tough we got back in August and early September when we didn't know if we were going to play and we our guys really dug down and we found a new maturity and we found new leaders and we found a new will to play and, and it led us to where we got and then if they don't win a national championship it'll be well we had that horrible August and early September where we really got worn down mentally and then we got beat up by playing nine games in nine weeks and we just didn't have anything left when we got the end of the season so I think I think whatever happens will dictate which narrative people try to use. I do think Ryan Day and Ohio State lean so far into the hashtag fight narrative, right, to get to fight for answers, to fight for a Big Ten season. I mean, it's one of those things we like to talk about. It's like, oh, the chase and the whatever, I don't know, the grind and like the things. It's like, what's the theme of this season? It's like, I don't know, is it maybe hashtag fight? That like, I, I think Ryan Day will just carry all this. We came together. We never gave up. You never thought you were ever going to get this opportunity, so, so seize it now. We stood together from the president to the last fan. Your families fought for this. Your coaches fought for this. You fought for this. Don't blow it by losing to Maryland. Like, I think, I think listen, when Zach Schwartz and that video team that puts together those awesome highlight videos and stuff. I mean, they already have it out today. Zach Swartz has been sitting in his house for six weeks thinking up, 
If it comes back, this is what the video is yeah. going to look like. I got a picture of clouds and I'm not making fun of him because that guy's talented and I've talked to him about it. You don't think when, when the story of this season, and I've talked to Zach about this, Zach's dream is to almost do like full like mini documentaries about Ohio State seasons. Where, do you, where does the documentary of the Ohio State season, if they win a national championship, do you know where the documentary starts? It starts with Ryan Day sitting in his office with his head in his hands on August 11th. That's where it starts. So that absolutely, I hate the word narrative. I mean, life is a narrative. So I was like, what's the narrative? I mean, like, you mean like, what's the thing that's happening? And what's the way people describe the thing that's happening? So it's like, oh, the narrative of the season. You mean, you mean the season? You mean the thing that's happening? It's not a narrative, it's life. Life is a narrative. So I'm not using the word narrative, it's stupid. It's an overused journalism term. But that's the, that's what, that's the real freaking deal with this season. And I absolutely, Steven, you're nodding your head. Ryan Day leans in to hashtag fight. It started on August 12th, the day after the cancellation, and it doesn't end until January 11th in Miami, where Ohio State believes it should be playing for a national title. Yeah, really. And that's been his word since he got hired for the job. They started that, you know, last fall camp and to the point that the parents have, you know, bought into it as well. I was talking to Harry, mother, Harry Miller's mother for a story I'm doing on Harry. Um, that'll be up in the next week or so. But she's bought into it. You know, parents of recruits have bought into the idea. Kaylin Johnson's dad has bought into the idea of fighting, how that has taken on a whole different meaning than just what happens on a football field because of what the last nine months have looked like. So, yeah. 100%. I mean, the doc, if they win a national championship, the, the mini doc series, it's going to be called hashtag fight. And it's going to start with Ryan Day in his office with his hands in his, hands in his head, his head in his hands. And the, the background music is going to be him telling his team that they're not having a season this year. If Zach Swartz was not like in the room with Ryan Day when the news came down, I'll be shocked. That guy is like, I think that, I feel like that guy is everywhere. Looks like a little camera in his hands, just like documenting, like around the corner, you know, like, like Ryan Day, like pacing in his office, and Ryan Day I mean, doesn't even know he was there. Yeah, when you're that important, someone's always filming you, so or taking a photo of you. Nobody takes a photo of me. From the now, I feel sad. From the four one nine, and and listen, our, our our answer to this question is not allowed to be, Ohio State is lucky to have Ryan Day. Okay, so I think Ryan Day has done a good job. Let's just let's just not go overboard. Okay, like there's lots of good coaches. There's lots of good people in the world. I think Ohio State happens to have one of them. I don't think they have the only one. So we're just going to, we're going to take it down a thousand. Okay, like, and I'm not really talking to you guys. I'm talking to the world. From the 419, what's that? You don't want to tell them congratulations? I don't. I mean, like, good job, good fight. But, you know, I mean, we get it. Ryan Day seems to come through this in a better light with players, recruits, etc. Do you agree? What about other coaches that haven't been as active? That's from the 419, our guy Wes in the 419. Nathan, I do think some of these coaches will use what has happened to show how they believe in their players. They believe in their programs. They will fight for their programs. They will send that message out to recruits. And we have talked about that sort of during the course of this. Yes, I think the Big Ten as a conference kind of looked bad along the way. 
But I think some of the schools along the way have forged a different path that I think they actually might end up looking pretty good out of it. What do you think? No, I think Ryan Day was already someone who uh, was considered a a player positive coach, someone who really had his guys back. He's talked about that. He talked about it in relation to the you know social justice stuff that was happening early this summer back before we thought uh, this season was going to get canceled. And we thought it was just more of an annoyance that we were kind of, you know, muddling through for a little while. And that was kind of almost one of the, the, the prominent topics was, was what was going on within his roster as far as guys speaking up about things. And I think that was another example of that. This is just part of it. I, I think, you know, being, being a younger guy and maybe just being a little bit more tuned into what, what some of those guys are, are thinking, what they're about, the way he's listened to those guys in a different way than maybe other coaches do. I think all of those things are, are kind of playing together. I, I would say if I had to pick one school, though, that maybe benefits from this the most, it might actually be Nebraska. I think Ohio State just already has so many advantages to itself. And I think Nebraska is the one that really gets to go out now and, and sell itself in a different way that maybe it helped its, its standing and might actually be able to uh, climb out of tier six now. There is a particular question that I would like to ask, but I want to save it because I think it maybe can be our Friday podcast. But I think I have a belief that I, I'm wondering, and I actually want to ask the texters about it specifically. I'm wondering how this last month has potentially changed relationships in the big 10 and perhaps has changed how the big 10 views itself as a group. And I, I don't want to get into that now because I want to get some out. I want to get some text or opinions on that, but I just want you guys listening to this to be thinking about that because I do think it's interesting. Let's, this is a more of a logistical thing. And, and, and I, I feel like I just, I don't want to get this wrong, but I'm pretty sure that the answer is just, straightforward here from the 262 what's the location for the big 10 championship game we're still on for indy right nathan i mean nothing's nothing's changed it's on for indy and so i i brought this up on the wednesday emergency podcast and then we actually never went back to it so let's talk about this now this last weekend where they're gonna play the east versus the west one versus one two three four five six seven Everybody, it will be the ninth game of the season for everybody. It will be a final crossover that your eight-game regular season will be six games in your division and two crossovers. And then your final crossover will be one versus one, two versus two, three versus three. I am, I am wondering how that matchup, how that new creation will affect the crossovers they plan for. Right. Because like, would you maybe go out of your way to make sure that if you think, let's say you think, I don't know, let's say that you use, I don't know, is, do you guys know, did anyone do like a preseason prediction where they had a group of experts say who's going to finish where in each division? Cause I don't believe the big 10 does it itself. I really think an outside group should do that as a service, not just to the conference, but to the world and also to its tech subscribers and listeners, because Cleveland.com has been doing it for a year, for 10 years. Go to Cleveland.com and just make sure your crossover games aren't the predicted order of finish, right? Because, and then I actually think I wonder, say Rutgers and Indiana, or no, not Rutgers, say Rutgers and Purdue finish last or whatever, right? But Rutgers and Purdue played a crossover. I wouldn't make them play again. I'd switch it and have the seven play the six or whatever to avoid that. But the thing I want to get into the Big Ten championship game will be in Indianapolis. 
Tell me if I'm wrong. They're, of course, that's it, right? They didn't say it. but That's my understanding, yeah. They didn't have to and that's say what it they, they were, that's what right. it is. They were already set up to play the Big Ten Championship game on December uh, 5th. 5th, right. But they had, they had factored in enough – they had factored in to where it could be played as late as the 19th. So I think there already was an agreement in place with the – whichever – I can't remember now which – who, who controls that in Indianapolis. But I think there was already some understanding about that date being a factor that was open for this kind of thing. So can I now throw out like random things that probably won't be true? Do we still do that? Or, or, or if I'm Are you waiting until now? If I'm Dan Patrick, if I'm yelling at Dan Patrick, am I not allowed to do that? Can I make a guess? Can I guess that they're going to play second place versus second place in Indianapolis on Friday? Why wouldn't you? Yeah, why not? I don't know that they will expand beyond that. So this is a thing I'm also curious about. December 19th, and we have a question about December games. December 19th is getting kind of cold. I almost wonder if the, the, the thing that people have been talking about with the January games of playing in domes around the Big Ten footprint, I wonder if they might not end up with some double headers in other domes. Pure speculation. That makes sense. I, I Yeah, and – Kind of to go back to when we were coming up with which plan we think would be the best. What if they did do that? They use, you know, Detroit, Indianapolis, and the Minnesota Domes. And one person, the championship game, and then 2v2 were in Indianapolis. And then they used the Detroit and Minnesota Domes where if you just split it up. So that way there's games closer to the West, West Division and there's games closer to the East Division. You just split it up evenly. You could play, you could play like three and seven in mini in Minneapolis and yeah. four five and six in Detroit or something. Right. I mean, I think, I, I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know that playing those December 19th games at the home at a home site would particularly make sense. I mean, right? I think the domes make more sense. And how do you decide who gets the home game? It, maybe it's records. Cause what if it's not, you know, the exact even records in both divisions and then whoever just has a higher record, they get yeah, but, the dome closer to where they play. But but like the but team I, in the West might the team in the West that finishes fifth might have a, a better record than the team that finishes fifth yeah. in the East just because the West stinks, you know I don't know I, I I'm just saying I would do this Doug proposal that maybe they're doing or maybe they're not I don't know. Do you think do you think the thirteenth place game actually gets played? Like if the, it's if it's Illinois against Rutgers on December nineteenth for thirteenth place in the Big Ten that's what you're playing for thirteenth place in the Big Ten. And you, and especially if they try to make you play it outdoors, do you think those teams play that game? Because I sure. thought it was interesting. Barry Alvarez today said teams will have the opportunity to play a ninth game, right? <laughs> I'm going to be yeah. honest with you. That's the second most important game in all of this. And the reason why is we, we get to find out, we get to find out who the best team in the big 10 is every year. We're to have an opportunity to find out who's really the worst team in the big 10. That's, I mean, that's heaven. We I can literally say, I'm sorry. But, that's but those guys, those, those guys aren't hanging around for a bowl. Probably. You're probably not looking at two teams that have six wins at that point. So oh, how many, no. how many players, if, if you have, if you're a player on that team who has any chance of playing in the NFL, that this next draft, are you going anywhere near that 13th place game? Well, Come on. you know, the one thing that could make a 13 place game. Cool. Playing in an NFL dome. Mm-hmm. They're going to go play in NFL stadiums the next year. That's like, the whole point. Well, but like one guy. I yeah. mean, like, okay. So the, You're the in 13th player. place for a reason. 
the, the best guy in Illinois opts out. I think he still would play the game. And the rest of the guys would be like, I'm never going to get to play in this stadium like this unless I do it now for 13th place. So I like it. I, I, I'm all, I love this kind of thing. And like, I, I like, I wish they did it cross conferences. I mean, I've, I've done all kinds of PlayStation stuff in the past of like, I love the idea of double headers or three games in a weekend at a site you know, and you're, and you're, you're, you're building some conference pride. It's interesting. I wonder if it will build any division pride, right? I mean, are people at the fourth place game? Like when it's like, when it's Iowa, Indiana, are Indiana people going to be going big 10 East, big 10 East. And I was going to be like, go West, go West. Is that a thing? Would people yeah, especially, do that? especially in a world where, I mean, we already all assume say that the East is better and this is the West chance to you know, prove otherwise, at least it for a be- season. There should be something at stake, right? They should get to be like, oh, uh, whoever, whichever division wins more, because it's seven. So whichever division wins more games, they get like to, they get the the prominent, uh, they get to pick their times at Big Ten Media Day the next year. They can sleep in more, no. or they can whatever. Oh no, actually, in the in the name of they of talking about maybe moving the Big Ten championship game to other domes. What if whoever wins it every year gets whatever you know division wins it gets to pick the dome it gets played in it'd be like baseball it's like who wins the all-star game gets home field advantage in the world series who wins the meaningless sixth place game determines (laughs) where the big 10 championship game is (laughs) where ohio state is going to play a big 10 west team at next year yeah um speaking on this topic from the 330 all games to be played outside in december like yeah, this is not, this is no, there's no indication of like any dome ideas for these regular season bowl games. So you have to remember at the moment, what we're talking about is two more weekends past the norm. That normally you go into that last weekend in November, obviously is the end of the Big Ten regular season. The first weekend, December is the championship game in a dome. So now you're playing the first weekend in December, the second weekend in December outside. Nathan, is that? Is that a big deal? I have not looked up temperatures, average temperatures in Columbus and and Ann Arbor and State College and uh, Iowa City for the first two weekends of December. But I guess it's going to be. I guess it's going to be cold. I don't know. I guess I it's, it's like cold. a balmy sixty-five usually, sixty-five yeah. seventy. <laughs> you mean you haven't looked up temperatures? Like it's it's the Midwest. It's going to be freaking freezing. Well, but I just don't know. I mean, honestly, I don't know how much of a temperature drop. I mean, again, you're accustomed to playing outside games the last weekend of November, but it's not like you can't step outside without getting frostbite. I don't know. Right, if right. Two weeks later, no. is the temper is it on average eight degrees colder? Is it two degrees colder? I don't know. It, it's December not. You're hasn't not been as cold in at least Columbus the last couple of years. That is because of climate change. Continue. <laughs> you're, you're, you're not guaranteed to be uh, stepping out onto the uh, icy fields of Hoth or whatever from Empire Strikes Back. Like, it's not necessarily going to be blizzard conditions, but it's more likely to be blizzard conditions the farther into the year that you get. Like, you get closer to getting having bad luck. I mean, Indianapolis hosted a Super Bowl several years ago, and they got really lucky because it was, like, the most beautiful February day in the his- week in the history of the state of Indiana or, like, the recorded history of the state of Indiana. So, like, it could happen. Like, you could get just a really beautiful week in December, and you could also get, like, 18 inches of snow. Like, we don't know. And the farther you get into it, the more likely the chances something like that could happen, which is something else that, on top of everything else, I guess, could potentially play havoc with the, the schedule in general. 
this is an interesting football question. So I, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm not, I don't want to be dismissive of how cold it might be on December 12th because it might be pretty stinking cold, but I don't know that there's anything, anything you can do about it. But I'm very curious to see if they wind up playing those December 19th games in domes. And if I was them, I would, and I actually think that's what they might do. From the 773, weird question, but with this new schedule, does Ohio State play differently than what we expected back in August? Is Garrett Wilson still on the slot? Is there less man coverage? Is there anything you would expect in a change of scheme, especially depending what opt-outs might do? Like we talked a lot. There's a Kerry Combs question that's coming later, but that's Charlie in the 773. They're going to get the same prep they would have had. And so I think the, the how much prep you have is what would maybe change. That if you were like, well, we were going to do this, but we don't have enough time, so we're going to do this. Or – you know, I think, I think in the NFL there may have been some effect because they didn't have any of the normal preseason stuff, right? They didn't play any preseason games. So I think that's been more of an effect. I mean, yes, they're not playing non-conference games, but they're going to wind up having a fairly typical preseason camp. So, Stephen, I, like, I don't know. Would you, would you not try to have Garrett Wilson change positions because – do you feel like he maybe didn't have enough time to learn the new spot or something like that? Or do you just forge ahead? No, I think you just go on as normal. You know, he's known he was going to be a slot receiver since the spring, even if it hasn't been in formal practices. I'm pretty sure him and Justin Fields at times have gone out and they've had, you know, they've thrown the ball. So he's been working, you know, routes from that spot all summer. When, when, they, when they've been here, they've been, he's been working, you know, throws with Justin Fields. I'm pretty sure Chris Olave as well. I'm pretty sure that Fred, true freshmen have as well when they've been on this campus in their own spare time. So, no, I think they, they forge ahead as normal. And it, the, the prep time leading up to that October 23rd date is going to be pretty similar. So, no, I don't think they change much. Nathan, what do you think? Would you expect any football effect based on this? Well, I think it makes it important for Ohio State to still be an accomplished running team this year. I think you've got to have that in your back pocket because the conditions could be uh, not favorable for a team to come out and sling the ball around 50 times. So but now, fortunately for them, I, I don't think that was ever really going to be an issue. I know we talked about the running backs, but I think the running backs are maybe uh, certainly no worse than a tie for first is the most important thing there because you've got, you've ever got a quarterback who can run the ball more importantly than that, especially if White Davis comes back, you've got an offensive line that can go out there and really plow people over and, and create the lanes to, to have that running game. So I think that's what's maybe going to be the most important thing that they still have to be a multifaceted offense in, in um, as much as we want to talk about Garrett Wilson in the slot, as much as we want to talk about them um, really slinging the ball around and what Justin Fields can do with his arm. At some point, they're still going to have to be able to, whether it's converting in short yardage situations or maybe having to plod through a whole messy, snowy, slushy, cruddy game, they're still going to have to be able to put the ball on the ground. Feels like Wyatt Davis, right, helps helps lean on the run game if you want to do it, Wyatt Davis being back. And I think the main thing is what we've talked about a million times and was going to be the case and is really more about missing spring ball is I don't know that you can rely on the freshman receivers as much. Mm -hmm. so, so how does that maybe affect the passing game or who's involved in the passing game? That, that could maybe be an issue. Um, but I don't think it, it, it fundamentally changes – the scheme, I think we just might have the same expected changes to who's involved in the scheme. And to that point, that's probably why it's important to keep Garrett in the slot because, you know, 
Now, I mean, that's a very vital position for Ohio State's offense. And you want to have somebody out there who's at least got experience on the field, even if it's not necessarily in that spot, instead of having a true freshman starting in right. that position. Your other two slot options are true freshmen, right? So, right, mm-hmm. you've, you've got to lean a little older there, I think. From the 614, the return of Kerry Combs has been under the radar with all this other more important news coming up. How important is his position right now, with or without Sean Wade? Combs will be a difference maker for this defense. He has a big impact on our national championship run. Will he be successful? That's Evan in Oregon. And I know Evan in Oregon has been affected by some of the wildfires out there. So best to Evan and his family. Um, I mean, this is one of those, again, where if you were bringing in a totally new defensive coordinator, I think we'd be talking about that a lot. And they have a totally new defensive coordinator who is not new. So I, I think it amplifies anything that, contributes to continuity I think is amplified in this area so Nathan I mean I I I mean the one thing I might argue with with Evan is I mean yeah we haven't been talking about Kerry Combs we could be talking about whether there's going to be football or not but I think now that football's back I think the fact that Kerry Combs is here is gigantic and everybody knows it well I think we talked about at the time we talked about also the challenge that was in front of him already with this secondary I think I'm not going to I don't want to um, overshadow the importance of a defensive coordinator on a game day plan and all that stuff. But I think his most important job is to get that secondary up to speed to be a national championship contending secondary on, on this defense. And if Sean Wade's not a part of it, his job got a whole lot harder. Um, We already have talked about how we didn't know for sure who the third best or fourth best cornerback on this defense is. And all of a sudden, whoever that guy was that we didn't know about, now he's the third best cornerback. He's the third most important guy back there. You've got first-time starters at safety, too. And even though we think those guys might be good football players, there's still a margin of of uncertainty there. So he does have his work cut out for him. And I think that's where his his experience and his familiarity, I think most importantly with these guys, is going to be – important he, he knows these guys he helped recruit some of these guys before he yeah. went up to the NFL for a couple of years so um, that's where I think Kerry Combs is maybe gonna make the biggest impact between today and October 24th when they can start having real football practices how does he make those guys into a, a real Big Ten secondary a, or not even just not even just a real Big Ten secondary that's <laughs> not fair that's not fair for me to say but a national championship aspirant secondary that that probably does still take some development the familiarity is the most important part because I'm pretty sure Ryan Watts is the only cornerback who might get on the field this year just because it, depending on what happens with Sean Wade, who didn't know the, who Kerry Combs was before he got on, got on this campus. Yeah, and I think Kerry, and as we've talked about, and again, go back and listen to uh, the podcast I did a while ago with Deontay Lee, uh, more than a month ago now, breaking down you know whether they might go um, – with the single high safety look, whether they might play some two safety look. I mean, that, that is one of the things again of if, if you're asking what might change, I mean, I think maybe there's a possibility that like, listen, if these guys were more comfortable with a single high safety, most of the time last year, maybe if Kerry Combs was thinking about let's play more two safeties, maybe he doesn't do that right away. Maybe he holds off for a year. Maybe he holds off early in the year. I do think to back to that question, there are things like that. I think if you're asking guys to change, <coughs> excuse me, if you're asking guys to change to something new that maybe you don't ask them to change quite as much, but, I, but I do think Kerry's familiarity is huge. This, I think, again, there's just going to be a lot of questions along the way of how different is the world going to be because Ohio state's playing eight games, the ACC scheduled to play 11, the SEC scheduled to play 10. What is the fallout of that as opposed to the world where everybody's supposed to play 12 regular season games? Does it matter? 
this is a specific question about that from the 919. It's Andy from Durham. In what ways does this delayed season put Ohio State at an advantage or disadvantage to compete in a playoff matchup? I mean, my gut instinct is like, if you don't play quite as much and you didn't have to start quite as early, it might be a little fresher at the end of the year when you only have a 13-day turnaround between your conference championship game and the playoff semifinal. And that actually starting October 24th and only playing eight games as opposed to starting in mid-September and playing 10 or 11 or starting September 26th and playing 10 or 11. Like if you get in and then once you're in, you're not quite as beaten up because every time you play on a Saturday, it increases your chance of getting hurt and it increases just how much you're worn down. I think it would be a little bit of an edge, frankly, for a Big Ten team, which I'm sure is something that the SEC and the ACC will bring up constantly as they try to publicly influence the playoff discussion and remind the committee members that, man, eight's not as hard as 10. Eight's not as hard as 11. Man, if we only had to play eight, think about how fresh we'd be. Think about how good our record would be. It's going to be – I don't think it's the difference maker, but I think if they get there, I do. Nathan, I think think Ohio State might be a little bit ahead of the game. Yeah, and I think also, you know, we've talked about the fact they're going to have to play eight or nine games in a row, but that's not really uncommon. Last year they had two by or idle weeks, but a lot of years you only have one. So you probably play something similar to that in a row in a regular season through your big through your conference championship game if you play in one. So that is not that taxing, I suppose, especially when you consider you've had even extra time off and away from contact and stuff leading into it. So I I think it is probably beneficial for them in the long run. I also think that there is kind of to follow up on your second point, there's going to be more politicking and um, lobbying than we've ever seen before as far as the the CFP, Um, because you are going to get a situation where let's say a team looks fantastic most of the year, but loses one game they weren't supposed to. And they had to play 11 games and somebody else only had to play eight or whatever, nine. And they, you know, that's the arguments can be made. Like, well, if you had to play two more games, maybe you would have lost one of them. You would have lost that one game on the road to a a decent bowl team that wasn't that great or whatever. So Gene Smith said it today that the the look test is going to be important. The smell test, however you want to say it, the teams are going to have to um, style points are going to probably matter a little bit this year. And I think we already covered this ground as far as, you know, I, I think Ohio State's okay as far as the number of games, unless the number of games gets drastically reduced, then it becomes a problem. Steven, do you think there's an edge or, or a disadvantage to any of this for Ohio State or any Big Ten team? Yeah, the advantage for Ohio State is they're starting later than everybody else, but everybody's finishing at the same time, so they're probably fresher. But uh, the disadvantage is, I mean, it's sort of similar to what the disadvantage in any other season. They've lost one game where it's been the death sentence for why they haven't made the playoff. It's truly a death sentence this year because – you don't have 10 games the way that the SEC does to make up for it, along with the fact that the SEC is a better conference. Yeah, it's just one of those. It's like it's been a – like it's already killed them. It's why that yeah. we talk about – it's why we've talked about the Iowa game and the Purdue games ad nauseum. So, like, it'll, it'll kill them more? I don't know. If – you know what I mean? Like when something's dead, it's dead. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, like, why, it's, why, it's literally why they came up with the phrase "beating a dead horse." Like it, it can't kill you more. You're just that dead. It's this thing where there's no, uh, yeah, there's no real. The only advantage is the, the they're just going to be fresher. That's the only disadvantage the other conferences have. Other than that, 
the concepts for a Big Ten team who wants to get in the playoff are the same. The concept for if you know Clemson wants to get in the playoff are the same. It's the same for the SEC where they might be able to lose a game and still get in, while if Clemson loses, they're out, and if a Big Ten team loses, they're out. Like nothing changed. I think there's also another thing too, though, where one of those things where we retroactively decide what we think about a team and like how many teams have we seen over the years where like oh they peaked a little too early right we saw their best stuff in like week 10 and so maybe there's a team that 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 starts off a little slow we saw it with Clemson last year and you you don't get enough time to reach your peak performance but that's just going to kind of be tough luck so I I mean it's one of those things Ohio State's only going to play eight regular season games this year you try to what what game did Justin Fields get hurt in last year? Game 11. Now, he could have gotten hurt in game six, but playing games 9, 10, 11, and 12 are four more chances for your invaluable starting quarterback to tweak his knee on a weird play. So I guess if this, let's put this fine of a point on it. If you had a choice, if you said if you were Alabama or Clemson or Ohio State, and you, you said you can start in mid-September and play 11. You can start in late September and play 10. Or you can start in late October and play 8. It's your choice. And we're going to throw you in the mix for the playoff at the end against teams that are doing the other things. Which would you pick based on wiggle room for a loss, based on staying fresh, based on reduced opportunities to suffer that loss? Which schedule is actually better if you could pick it, Nathan. Which would you pick? I think if you're also throwing in some other factors as far as like flexibility of the schedule and um, the even more increased chance of maybe getting your opt-outs to stay, I think you'd pick an earlier start. I think you'd probably – you might pick what the SEC is doing. Because there is there – you're playing 10, and also if you have some postponed – postponements you have wiggle room to still make them up the big 10 has no wiggle room to make anything up which is something we're going to get into later steven what would you pick i think it depends on the conference i'm in if i'm in the big 10 i think this is the perfect setup for them because of the some of the reasons we just named while if i'm in the sec yeah i might go with the 11 game schedule because yes it's more it's more you know a benefit for guys who are thinking about opting out but also you can make up that loss because you're in the sec if you're alabama you can make up that loss because you're in the sec well, if you're in the ACC, you're not making up that loss. And if you're in the Big Ten, you're probably not making up that loss. Because so. in the SEC, every game is so hard. And if you lose, yeah. it doesn't show that you're bad. It shows how tough the conference is. But if you're in the yeah. Big Ten, when you lose, it shows that you stink and you can't get past it. So the SEC, let's play 50 games so everybody can go 44 and 6 and make up for their six losses by beating Kentucky and acting like it's a good win. But in the Big Ten, if you lose, you suck. It's stupid, but, you know. That's just – I don't know, is it? I mean, don't we talk a lot on this podcast about how far below everybody – how far below Ohio State everybody else is, except maybe Penn State? Can I please give the fan base some red meat? Can I give them a little <laughs> – can I give them a little bit of what they want to hear? Can we go sure. back to some of the old favorites? Yeah. The SEC yeah. is overrated. The Big Ten doesn't get any respect. Woo-hoo-hoo. Ohio against the world. It's coming back. I feel it. It's coming back. All the golden oldies on Buckeye Talk. Hey, let's do this though. I do, I want it. This is a a very specific kind of thing. So why not get very specific about imaginary things? Because again, when you're actually playing football, this is the kind of thing you can do. 
This is Bama Brock in Atlanta from the 419. The first obvious question that comes to mind is, does an undefeated Ohio State team automatically make it over a one-loss Florida team that only loses to an undefeated Alabama team in the SEC championship game? I'm getting ahead of myself, but it's all they'll talk about here in SEC country. So let me slide, like Chris Collinsworth sliding into the photo, let me slide this in from the side. The Big 12, not the Big 12, the Pac-12, I think, is out. The Pac-12, I think the governors, the, the, there was – once the Big Ten restarted on Wednesday, the Pac-12 then all of a sudden said, like, hey, well, hey, maybe we can do it too. I think the governors of California and Oregon opened the door to being more flexible – on a return to play because that was actually the greatest sticking point for the PAC 12 that because of the COVID situations in those two States, there were stricter state rules in California, California and Oregon. So you're affecting half the teams in that conference, but the, what you are starting to see, I've, I've read some smart journalists who cover the PAC 12 who seem to be talking about maybe more like November 1st or something. I don't know. I just, there's a little bit more to get rolling in the Pac-12, because some of those teams have really been so shut down, I just don't know that they're going to be able to get to a, st- a spot to start by October 24th. But if you're still dealing in a world where that's for now, let's for now. And again, the Pac-12 is often not a, not a factor in the playoff anyway. So let's just pretend the Pac-12's out. So now we're in a world where there's four power conference teams. And by the way, the American Athletic Conference, you had it for like a month, baby. You were, you were a fake Power 5 conference for a month, baby, and now go back to your place. And if there's any Cincinnati fans here listening to this, I apologize, but I was never going to pretend that the American Athletic Conference was actually a playoff contender. So what we were dealing with before was a world where you're, you're getting – you're trying – you have three power conference team – three power conferences playing to take four teams. So you were anticipating you're taking a second-place team. Now you're going to have four power conference, four spots. So I'm anticipating, you just, it slides right in. It's smooth. Now, it's not guaranteed. But I actually think, like, in a world where you can't get every power conference champion in anyway, makes it more possible to leave out any power conference champ. Do you know what I'm seeing? That it's like, well, in a world where you have five champs and you only take four. Well, then what's the difference if you have five champs and you take three champs and a second place team? Like the year that Alabama got in ahead of Ohio State. But if you have four for four, again, which is the best fast food deal at Wendy's. If you've got spicy nugs, you have a double stack, you have a small fry, and you have a diet barks root beer with vanilla, I don't think you're going to take the spicy nugs, the fries, and then you're going to get a Diet Barks root beer with vanilla and a Mellow Yellow Zero and not get a burger. You're going to take the four for four. So I just think the, the window on like, hey, what's the way that like the SEC could get two and the Big Ten champ could get left out, I think is a very smaller window than we may have experienced before. And I just came up with that idea and the fast food analogy on the fly. I'm not sure it makes sense. Nathan, you look like Ryan Day with his head in his hands on August 11th. Like, dear God, we're back. This We're actually back to this. 
I kind of liked it better when we just were talking about we don't know what's going to happen because Doug is, is losing his mind because he's back in the flow. Does that make any sense to you, that the committee will just feel more like everything slots in? Yes. However, I guess I would still leave open, like, like Gene Smith said, that I think there is some eye test that it's going to be important this year. And if you get a situation where the Big 12 looks bleh, like it often does, and uh, even if Oklahoma goes undefeated or whatever, and then you have Alabama and Georgia looking awesome and beating each other once, and you've got Clemson and Ohio State undefeated, I don't know. I mean, I think it, it – I think you I, make a good point, but I also think our listeners might agree with this. Oklahoma can cram it. All right, that's fine. I don't care about that. Is the Big Ten champ going to get screwed? If the Big 12 champ gets screwed – Play better defense. They're lose by well, 40 but anyway. I think it depends on who the Big Ten champ is. If Ohio State looks awesome in eight of its or seven of its games and then loses a close game to Penn State, and Penn State is the Big Ten champ and doesn't look that great the rest of the time, but but gets to have the championship, that's different than if Ohio State just clubs everybody and and blows the blows the doors off everybody and wins the championship, right? So I think it might depend on how that Big Ten champion emerges. To be fair, I think, I think we need to establish the fact that Ohio State fans believe that the Big Ten champion should always get in the playoff as long as the Big Ten champion is Ohio State. And if the Big Ten champion is kind of worse than Ohio State, then Ohio State should get in ahead of the Big Ten champion, just mm-hmm. so we understand where our listeners are coming from. Now, Steven, do you believe in the slotting? Does this make sense to you that it might make it harder to take a second – SEC team over one of these other power conference champions? I think in a world where all four conference champs have the same record, yeah. Especially, I mean, they're undefeated. They're all getting it anyway. But, yeah, I think in, in a world where all four conference champs maybe have one loss, then, yeah, maybe they do just go with that, that theory just for the sake of, okay, everybody has the same record. You won your conference. There's only four power five conferences playing this year. Let's just slot it in. It's a weird year. Let's just go with it. McDonald's, I saw McDonald's has spicy McNuggets the other day. I think they're trying it out. And I like the spicy nuggets at Wendy's, but I don't, again, I think, again, it's it's an incredible differentiation to me. And I think we've talked about this before. Battered versus breaded. And Wendy's are breaded nuggets. And I understand how you can spice up breading, right? That if you think about, the Wendy's spicy chicken sandwich or the Chick-fil-A spicy chicken sandwich. I think it's a breaded sandwich that's spiced up. The McNuggets are battered and I'm not sure how you spice up the batter. And it's a little incongruous to me, Nathan, you literally said, Ooh, about spicy McNuggets, but are you worried about that? Or do you think it sounds good? No, I think it sounds good. I think you can make batter spicy. If you, if you're making pancakes and you pour some, Louisiana hot sauce in it it's going to be spicy pancakes so if you if you're making the batter for chicken nuggets also though I would say if you have a if you've ever had a Wendy's spicy chicken sandwich which is the superior fast food chicken sandwich over all others I think we've established that moving on um, if you bite into one you can actually kind of see the hot sauce kind of like in there I think like it's it's sort of also in the sandwich so I think they could probably do something with the actual nugget meat, whatever, wherever that comes from, I think they could probably spice it up too if they wanted to. Could you please make that your new slogan whenever something on this podcast surprises you? Could you say, spicy pancakes? Like that's like Nathan's uh, expression of shock. 
Like Nathan, what, what did you think? Nathan, what did you say to yourself when the Big Ten announced that it was going to play football starting October 24th? Spicy pancakes. All right. Is this a theory that makes sense to anybody? Love theories from the 330. <clears throat> national, national media already saying that the Big Ten doesn't deserve to be in the playoffs this year. The other conference ADs are mad at the Big Ten and will push to keep them out. Thoughts. I have a specific thought and a little bit of research, but Stephen, in the conspiracy theory idea of this, that, that the rest of college football, and, and specifically the SEC, the ACC, and the Big 12, and just what we just talked about, you know, hey, you weren't going to play, now you're going to play. Hey, you're only playing eight games. I don't know. Do you think that, that A, do you think they are mad? And B, do you think it would lead to them sort of pushing in any way to keep the Big Ten champ out? Yeah, I think they might be a little annoyed with the way the Big Ten has handled this, the way the rest of you know Big Ten country is annoyed with the way they handled it. But also, yeah, I mean, Dabo Sweeney's thrown out some shots over the last you know couple of weeks here with you know a Big Ten team maybe getting in or you know waiting on the Big Ten or everybody playing later, and he's thrown his shots and. I'll say fans have had their fun with it. So, yeah, I do think that, you know, I mean, you'll see some coaches continue to throw those type of shots when they get asked about the Big Ten. Yeah. Can I ask I mean, you, who, who are these other conferences to criticize the Big Ten, though? I mean, I what, what problem do they have with the way the Big Ten handled things? I mean, the Big Ten doesn't have Virginia Tech canceling games like the ACC does, or postponing games like the ACC does, and it doesn't have LSU with everybody coming down with COVID except like the the – the third string long snapper. Um, who are they to criticize the way the Big Ten has handled this? I don't know why there would be this spite about the Big Ten. I think it'd be even more. It's more likely that those teams, because of the situation that they've put themselves in and, and the the structure that they have compared to what the Big Ten has put in place, um, maybe they're not in as good a position to even get their seasons completed. Which was kind of the point we said earlier where uh, the Big Ten, I mean, in the moment, it, it was annoying that they canceled so early, but in some ways they might come out of this looking like the smart people because they did, you know, hold off while the rest of the, while the other three power conferences decided to go ahead. And now, you know, it's coming back and biting on the butt a little bit. And the thing that will make the Big Ten able to finish its season will be available to these other conferences too. The Big yeah. 12 has already made its its deal for, for rapid daily testing. I assume the SEC and ACC will follow suit at some point. So that should be available to everybody. It's just the ability to say, I told you so, for at least the first couple of weeks is what the Big Ten is able to do a little bit right now. Is Dabo a bad guy? Does he look like a little weasel? Is he a little weasel? I'm not, I'm not, clear. I'm not saying he is a little weasel. I'm saying... Is he a little weasel? I, I think, you know those people where you just look at them and you can't really put your finger on it for why you don't like that person, but you know you don't like the person. It's not obvious because they seem so nice and happy-go-lucky. And you're just like, I don't know what it is about that guy, but I don't like that guy. And then ever so surely as you, know, you get to know him a little bit, you can finally put your finger on, that's what I don't like about that guy. I think Dabo has those moments, and I think that's what outside of Clemson beating Ohio State in the college football playoff two times in a row and in a, in a bowl game as well. I think some of what he says and how he goes about things, it's like Ohio State fans are finally putting their finger on why exactly they don't like Dabo Sweeney. There's just some phoniness there that I'm not a big fan of, I think. Should I set a threshold for a number of tech subscribers and that if we get to a certain number of tech subscribers – and if we hit that number and Ohio State and Clemson are playing in the postseason and we have hit that threshold, 
I, in a press conference, will ask Dabo Sweeney, are you a little weasel? Yeah. How about how about 725? <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's uh that only that means we only need to get 600 more. We can't uh um so so let's do this. Let's do this. Um we have a couple other questions. Oh, I here's my point and I and I looked at this. Let's keep in mind. So there is like a steering committee, right? The people who are in charge of the playoff and we talked about this on a past thing. There's like the committee that sets the schedule. There's the committee. And those are presidents and ADs. But what we're, the people who decide who makes the playoff is the selection committee. And looking at the selection committee, it's 13 people. And five of those 13 people are associated with conferences that are not playing or delayed. So the idea of like, hey, like the SEC and the ACC – are mad and we're going to like vote against you. Gary Barta is the Iowa AD. He's actually the chair of the playoff committee. Um, Tom Berman is the AD at the university of Wyoming. That's the mountain West, right? They're not playing mountain West, not playing. So like, he's not going to hold it against a big 10 team. Rick George, the AD at Colorado. He's on the committee. It's PAC 12. They're in the same boat as the big 10. If, if at the very best, Ronnie Lott, USC, former star. He's on the committee. His connection is USC. Again, Pac-12 team, not playing at the moment. And then uh, John Urschel, who is a, a former Penn State player, is a new member of the committee. And so, yeah, you know, like the, you know, the, the Oklahoma AD is on there. The Florida AD is on there. The Georgia Tech AD is on there. R.C. Slocum, former Texas A&M head coach, is on there. Um, you know, there, there's some people with, with, with Southern ties, as we've talked about before, but, but I don't know that there's enough of like a, of a block of people who would be like, you were stupid to cancel. So we're going to punish you now with our playoff vote. I just, I don't know that that's a thing. And now again, what we talked about, could the coaches politic for it? Yeah. But I don't know how receptive enough of the committee members would be to that politicking for it to have an effect couple more things. There's a big question about whether this was the darkest day in Big Ten history, as claimed by a national columnist. I want to get into that. And then I want to get into a, a couple more of the specifics about how, how challenging, not difficult, I don't want to say difficult, but honestly how challenging it might be to play this Big Ten season, get into some testing specifics after this break on Buckeye Talk. All right, I want to do this from the 3 2 one. Thoughts on the Christine Brennan article. Christine Brennan is a very accomplished and good sports columnist at USA Today. I vaguely know Christine. Um, she went to Northwestern. I went to Northwestern. I've come across her at reunions, frankly. She and my wife struck up a bit of a, of a little friendship at a reunion. Um, so I, I'm not friends with Christine Brennan, but I, but I know Christine Brennan. And she wrote an opinion column that said Big Ten's decision to play football, Big Ten's decision to play football signals darkest day in conferences sports history. And I'll read the beginning of it, and you can go read the rest at USA Today. For decades, the Big Ten has thought of itself as a different kind of sports conference, one that proudly touts the academic achievements and Great Lakes values of its like-minded, highly regarded, internationally ranked research institutions. The Big Ten wasn't the SEC, it wasn't the Big 12. It was better than that, and it was happy to tell you about it. 
As proof, one only had to look at the conference's prudent August decision to shut down fall sports in the midst of a global pandemic. It was only natural that the Big Ten would follow the Ivy League and that the Pac-12 would follow the Big Ten. It was a tough decision, heartbreaking and costly, but it was the right one. That's the Big Ten for you, concerned about science, medicine, and safety. Let the football factories of the SEC, Big 12, and ACC continue playing. The Big Ten was doing the right thing, looking out for its student-athletes, treating them almost no differently than the student body at large, and that was all that mattered. Then came Wednesday, the darkest day in Big Ten sports history, the day the vaunted conference caved. It choked. It got scared. It became the SEC. So I know her, again, a little bit. I will say, a bit much, Christine. A bit much. Jeez Louise. As people have pointed out, this is one of those things. It's like, this is the worst thing you've ever done. And it's like, no, it's not. Here are all the other terrible things I've done. So it's like, I've had, there were a couple texters who were, who were defending the Big Ten by saying, what about Jerry Sandusky? And it's like, okay, if that's where your defense of restarting football begins, let's maybe go a different direction here. We shouldn't so, be playing football if that's where we're going to go. Oh, we're awful. We have, we, have, we have people in our conference who have done dreadful things. This isn't the worst. Listen, someone else wrote a, col- a column the other day. And actually, I started following him on Twitter, and I would like to have him on Buckeye Talk at some point. Now I'll invite Christine to come on Buckeye Talk. I think the whole point is it's – I mean, the Big Ten does want to be the SEC. It wants to be half Ivy League, half SEC. And by the way, when I went on my little vacation – And Nathan and I did a quick little pod. I was screaming about how I don't give two hoots what the Ivy League does. The Big Ten shouldn't care about that. So I think this is misguided. I think it's overdone. I think it's overwrought. I think you can disagree with it, right? I think it's fine to disagree with it. But I think to call this the darkest day in Big Ten history, like is, I mean, it's just, it's just not, it's just not right. Right? I mean, like, Everybody well, else is doing it. So, so you can't pretend. And, and honestly, the Big Ten, they want to be like the SEC in football. And they want to be like the Ivy League in other things. And what the other columnist said was, that's always trapped the Big Ten. They've tried to live in two worlds. And I've argued it's kind of admirable to kind of live in two worlds. And I'm not sure it's the worst thing. Yeah, it does trip you up sometimes. But I don't think that means you should stop trying to do it. I don't think the only choice is be the Ivy League or be the SEC. I think the choice is be the Big Ten. And I think actually what happened on August 11th and then what happened again on September 16th is totally in line with the Big Ten being the Big Ten. And I think that's kind of bad, but I also think it's kind of good. So overwrought, Nathan. Yeah, and I don't know Christine Brennan well. I do know I, I have one experience with her, and that was a couple summers ago at the APSE convention, uh, Association of Professional Sports Editors. They have like a annual convention. It was in Atlanta, and she was one of the speakers there. And um, it was with any columnist. She's an opinionated person and seems to kind of lead with her virtuous stances sometimes and was doing it in this case we were in Atlanta and she was, it was, a, it was a, there was a panel about journalism ethics and she was kind of going on this thing about um, the people who the, 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 the reporters who take a free round at Augusta and then kind of in exchange for giving the masters and then overlooking some of the things that go on at the masters and, and, and things like that. So um, she's someone who th- this is not uncommon ground for her. She, she, and she, she, 
puts her name on it. And I, I respect that to some extent, but I, I agree that I think that this one maybe went too far, especially just because don't agree. The big 10 is being the sec here, right? The big, the sec does not have the same protocols, uh, medical protocols and safeguards and um, concerns in place that the big 10 does. Now, if, if the big 10 had come back and said, we're starting in three weeks and we're just going to test twice a week like we were, or maybe three times, and we're not doing rapid testing, but we've just got to get these teams back on the field, then I think you'd have that argument. That's not what the Big Ten looks like right now. The Big Ten, like I said before, gave itself a really tough road to get back on the field this fall. We still yeah, don't know this, that they can. This is probably the most Big Ten way of going about having a season this year, where it's almost give us a reason to cancel. So I want I want to get I want to get into that next, but and I don't want to make it personal about the columnist. I want I would I want to make it about the column, but I but there's a second part of this um, that that I want to get into, and I'm trying to find it now. Um, her, her point was kind of like, well, here we are at this point in the argument, and here it is. She says, this is the Nebraska-ization of the Big Ten. Who would have thought that when Nebraska and Ohio State and a few of the league's other squeakiest wheels started whining, out, started whining about missing out on football, the Big Ten presidents would buckle rather than stand up to them? Like, that is, that's wrong. It's like, what do you mean? What? It's like the most important people. It's like, oh, well, just because Ohio State, Penn State, Nebraska, Iowa, Wisconsin want to play football doesn't mean that Rutgers, Maryland, Northwestern, and Purdue should listen to them. And it's like, yeah, it does. Like, what do you – like, that's – the thing that this reads like to me is what someone wishes the Big Ten was. And it's not what the Big Ten – it's not what the people in the Big Ten want to be. It's not what Christina Johnson – wants to be it's not what the ad and the president at nebraska want to be it's not what the iowa president wants to be it's not what the big 10 what the penn state president wants to be so i i don't know this fanciful world i mean this sounds like jim delaney saying well if we're going to pay athletes then we'll go division three and it makes me want to stab you with a pencil like where it's not 1921 live in the real world and i'm sorry if you don't like it but what you think the big 10 is if you think the big 10 is somehow like above football that it's not well, now again i think that it, would, go ahead i was just, i think that would have been a criticism on august 11th if they had pushed forward to play when significant percentage of the conference thought it wasn't if they like strong armed them back then you know what I mean like that would have been a criticism then but getting to this point and the way that they've decided to return again I this doesn't seem like a valid criticism to me they, they're they're coming back and I think Stephen that was a great way to put it like this is like the most big 10 way to come back right like the nerdiest way to get a football team back on the field <laughs> is what the big 10 has put in place yeah, yeah I, it, it's almost like to just say that because the most important team in your conference started whining, and so you just fine, let's go play. That's not at all what happened here. And and it's one of those things of I mean, if that's what you think the Big Ten should be, then maybe the schools who think like that should be in the MAC. Like that that this is the Big Ten. I don't think the Big Ten pretends that it's not a big time college athletic conference. I don't think the Big Ten. 
would I would say that trying to compete with the SEC and the ACC and the Big 12 is somehow a failure on their part. So if Northwestern or Rutgers or anybody else doesn't want to go along for that ride, then that's fine. But that's the ride you're on. Sorry, Rutgers, you decided to join. Northwestern, you can get out whenever you want. That's fine. The Big Ten will be fine without them. But to act like, well, why do we have to listen to Ohio State, Nebraska, Penn State, and Wisconsin, these whiny football teams? It's like, because that's what the Big Ten is. That's what the Big Ten is. That's what the Big Ten is. Hey, a couple more things. This is going to be specific crunching. I made, I double checked with Nathan and said, Nathan, do you know the answers to this? Because you have to be smart about this because I'm not. From the 858, how do the testing and pausing for positives protocols that the Big Ten announced on Wednesday, how do they compare to the SEC, the ACC, and the Big 12? So we kind of have been dealing with this. That's, that's, again, that's a really good question. From the 858, the idea that the Big Ten seems to be really strict on this. Nathan, are they? How does their plan compare to other plans and protocols? It's absolutely stricter, at least as these conferences have set up right now. Again, the rapid testing is a a more recent thing. The Pac-12 made its deal. The Big 12 made its deal. So that could be something that gets now introduced into these other conferences. I think you might see that, especially if the Big Ten um, starts having success with it and successfully moves forward. Um, In the SEC, they test three times a week. They just went to three times a week from up from two. Um, the third test is a more rapid test, but the other two are the more, um, slower, more, I don't want to say basic tests. Cause I think they, they're, they're good tests. They're more accurate, but it, it's a different way of testing. And they're only doing that three times a week. I think it was like six days before competition and three days before competition. And then they added the third one for, for days of competition. Again, SEC is not back yet. Um, and the, 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 the infections, uh, a confirmed infection, the athlete must isolate for 10 days. That's compared to 21 days that we're seeing from the Big Ten, so to more than twice as long. Um, and then the, the contact tracing is pretty much the same all around. It, it, contact tracing tends to be the two-week thing, I think, pretty much across the board. And then the other conferences, they're, they're in that same boat. Like None of them have gone to the daily testing. None of them have the 21-day mandatory quarantine for a player who gets infected a lot of them are adding in the cardiac stuff right the having to do the full cardio cardiac workup with the ekgs and all that stuff and then the cardiac mris to check for myocarditis if some of the other things don't look right so that is something that all the conferences are are starting to implement or have implemented but the big 10 is still the, the strictest one and especially with the infection rates where where they're they're the like these mandatory and remember this guys like so there's 85 scholarships and then you've got walk-ons. You're talking about what, like about a hundred players on a team. If you get 5%, so five, five, six people test positive, that's the threshold the big 10 is set for shutting things down. Right? So that is still another side of this. I don't think people have taken into account yet that how, how strict that is and how small of a return you might have that would cause a team to have to take a break from playing football. Which leads us into two more questions like this. First from the 407, it seems that the protocol for a positive test result and the percentage are much more strict than other leagues. At this point, I am just happy to have a chance, but is this setting us up for failure? And then from the 803, it goes a step further. It seems like this is a well-designed strategy by the Big Ten to have a season that cancels itself. A very low bar of positives, no wiggle room in the schedule. A long time before we get to game one. 
Does this achieve the real goal of not getting blamed when the season falls apart? This is what I think will happen. That is the most sort of pessimistic view on this. And I know maybe people don't want to go there. I don't think it's that. I don't think that's what this is. I don't think this is like, Hey, like, this is our brilliant plan. We really don't want to play, but let's go through, you know, five weeks of everybody screaming at us and then announce this and then make it so strict. It's impossible, but, but it's hard, right? I do think it's hard. And so, so I want to get to these type of questions as a result from the 813 with the stated protocols of a 21 day sit, sit, if you test positive, etc. What are your individual confidence levels that they can pull this off without having a game canceled? And if a game is canceled, does that torpedo Ohio State's chances to compete in the playoff? In other words, do you think they will still be considered for the playoff if they only play a total of seven or eight games instead of eight or nine? And then also from the 9-3-1, first of all, this is for nine and three, Doug. So Stephen and Nathan keep writing those stories. Doug, I've been on the fence about subscribing to the text for a while, but your question to Kevin Warren today has made it an easy decision. Proud to be a member of the Dead Eds, and he trademarked that, so that we're yeah. appreciate to have that. But the question is, what percent chance would you actually give the season to be completed? I'm concerned that the updated protocols and lack of bye weeks will make it almost impossible. That's Briley, the new tech subscriber. So Briley, we appreciate you joining. Nathan, we'll start again with you because I think you've done the most writing and have the most information on this. Do you want to try to put a percentage on it? I am actually will not at all be surprised if Ohio State has a game canceled and if anybody else in the Big Ten has a game canceled. But I don't know that I'm at a point where I feel like they're not going to make it. Um, So, like, where are you on this, Nathan? So percentage that in the entire Big Ten that there would be no games canceled, I would say I'm about 14%. I think there will be a game canceled at some point. Um, I was shocked. I don't know, shocked. But go back one week and look at the the story that NJ.com wrote with the Rutgers president. Like, I read his comments where he's talking about, I, I think all these other conferences are crazy. They're not going to get through a season of football. Look at look at all these uh, – the, the infection rates that are going to break out on these campuses. I mean, these are his words, not mine. I'm paraphrasing. But, like, I thought there was no way he could put a football team on the field after saying all that stuff, frankly. So I was a little bit surprised that they now maybe this was part of the deal like that we're all going to be we're it's, it's all or nothing and they felt pressure I don't know but let I, me let me interject very quickly I, I talked to somebody about that issue, um, and and what they said was that Rutgers just realized it would look really bad for their program if the Big Ten went and they didn't and that it yeah. just almost like might doom their football program yeah so that I think maybe they didn't want to go but they felt like they had no choice. Go ahead. And then Rutgers put out a statement today, its response. I think all every school put out some kind of response. And their response was, well, you know, this is like a week-by-week thing, but that's the way it is for everybody. It's a week-by-week thing for everybody with, with this kind of stringent testing that they put in. But I will say I think that this testing, if they're right as to how accurate this can be and how reliable it will be, how fast it will be, et cetera, et cetera, I think this testing actually makes it more likely that they could actually complete a season of football. I think you can get everybody to the end of a season of football. There may, there may still be some teams that have a big spike and have to miss a, a couple of games or, or, or get really interrupted. But I think you can get to an end of a season almost more easily with, this, with the daily testing that you feel like is reliable. So I would say I'm at like something above 80%, 90% when I wasn't there very long ago um, that they can get – that the Big Ten can complete a football season. But I think it's, it's – I'm, I'm, I'm the opposite of that, that somebody's going to get something canceled. Does it feel like to me that the Big Ten actually has a pretty good handle on what they're going to do? 
at the moment, right? That I think like the idea of sort of wading into this and trying to figure it out on the fly, I do, it does feel like a little bit to me that while they didn't say anything for the past five weeks, they actually figured some stuff out. And that I do think people have been given a lot of credit to Jim Port, Dr. Jim Borchers from Ohio State in sort of leading the medical committee on this. It seems like they have a really good handle on what they have with the testing, what their plans are with the testing. They're very specific thresholds on all this stuff. So I feel like they've got a pretty good grip on it and now it's up to the virus, right? And I do, I just think if anybody thinks that like the virus is done, then I think you're in trouble. So, um, you know, that that's where, that's where I think it might pop up, pop up. But I think, I think I am very confident that a game will get canceled for somebody. Maybe it won't happen to be Ohio State. But I think I'm also very confident that the Big Ten will finish its season. And, and the only way, I don't know, I mean, unless just everything gets wiped out, unless, the, unless we just get whacked as a country again, because it's the fall, because it's flu season, because people aren't cautious, and, and the whole country shuts down again. And then if that happens, we won't be, it won't be about football. It'll be about the nation as a whole. So um, I, I do think that's, that's worth keeping in mind, though. And it leads into this. And Stephen, again, let's make you an athlete as a young man thinking about this from the 615. What is Ohio State's plan for keeping the team COVID-free outside the facility? Don't they live together? Six players positive at a time would tank the team. This is the kind of thing that Gene Smith talks about a lot. I had another parent talking to me about it today. It's like, it's just on the dudes, right? It's just on the guys to like, don't go to bars. Don't hang out in large groups in apartments with people outside the team. I, I don't know that it's any more, I don't think there's anything more to the plan than that. And I feel like that's the kind of thing that Ohio State's been saying from the start. The players are and must like sort of hold themselves accountable. Maybe that's not fair, but like, that's the only way to do it once they're outside the facility. Yeah, player accountability is always a thing, but it's on a different level where it's don't go anywhere if it's not the Woody, I think is where you're going to see these seven captains go with it because it is that serious of – I mean, it's 21 days if you test positive. That, that, that's dooming for a season. It's three games. And so your season is done because if the wrong person tests – you don't want anybody getting testing positive. I'm not saying it, but if the wrong position tests positive and he's living with two or three guys in his position room – well, that position room shot, and that might shoot your chance for a national championship. So it might be as simple as if you are not going to the Woody Hayes Athletic Facility, unless you're from Columbus and you're going to your parents' house, don't go anywhere. Because everything they need is in the Woody. They can eat. They can work out. They've got you know, activities that they can do there. So unless you're going there, don't go anywhere. I think this is probably going to test the usual code of a locker room a little bit. You know what I mean? Because they've got to hold each other accountable to get this done. We've seen this in the NA, in the NBA and stuff where you've got – or we saw it in, in baseball with uh, pitchers for the Indians, right, where they're going off and doing things. You got – in the NBA, you had people trying to sneak women into the <laughs> yeah. facilities and something. I mean, like – That's amazing. So when, when you see stuff like that happen among your team and you know that if they – what do you want to say? If they infect, if, if they bring the infection into the, into the team, that it could capsize the whole thing. I think you've got to point that out and you've got to hold them accountable um, directly at the point or tattle on them. I don't know what you got to do, but like it's going to test the, the usual kind of guy code. I think that goes on within a team a little bit. And especially going to be enforced to the freshmen who are living in dorms and living amongst the general population that they really have to be, if it comes down to it, you guys can, you can come crash on our couch just for the sake of not being amongst the people as much. It does seem like, again, with all this stuff, college football is caught in between. I mean, if you look at college campuses, the average student population, 
I mean, there's just campuses all over the place that are have that have had at least at some point, and I think Ohio State had a kind of higher positivity rate early, and it's come down since then. But general student population, there's been a lot of trouble with having too many students get infected, and that's not good for them, and, and we can't be blasé about that. But then you look at the NFL, and the NFL, listen, the NBA and the NHL did a really good job in their bubbles. The NFL is not in a bubble, and the NFL has had super low positivity rates, very, very, very low. No real interruption. I mean, they're a week in and they are sailing along. And so it's a question of, is, can college football be more like the NFL where they're not in a bubble and they have really strict daily testing and they're rolling along and like guys are responsible for themselves and they're doing it? Or are college football teams going to wind up more like general college students where there's been a big issue, right? So which, which can they be more like? If they can kind of make themselves be like the NFL, I think they'll, they'll probably be okay, right? But those are men. These are young men. Who, who right? go home, who go to a home, not necessarily, you know, True. a public housing situation where like Legend Cavazzo, CJ Stroud, uh, Julian Fleming, Court Williams all live together. They can control what goes on in their unit. We don't know who their next door neighbors are and we don't know what they're doing. So they can't control that, but they can control what goes on in their unit. And that's a great point. I think people do need to realize almost everybody that's not a freshman lives in an apartment. These guys get off campus mm-hmm. fast. But, I mean, you still have a quarter of your team that is in that campus housing. So, I mean, there's, it's just hard. It's just, it's just difficult. Before we get to our last question, which is what's the biggest hurdle for Ohio State winning a national championship, sort of which covers, I think, football and COVID. There's a couple things I want to get to. One is we did not – I meant to cover this on the opt-outs, and we didn't. Michigan's quarterback left. The day that the Big Ten announces they're playing October football, Dylan McCaffrey, Christian McCaffrey's younger brother, his Dylan's younger brother, I can't remember his, no, it's not his younger brother. It's a kid from his high school, um, is one of the running backs that Ohio State was recruiting. They're from a high school in Colorado. Ed McCaffrey, and, and I don't know, I apologize, I don't know Dylan's mom's name, but Ed McCaffrey played in the NFL. He's a college coach right now. The McCaffreys were very vocal around some of this. Are the players being treated right? Are they, are they going to be safe enough? And then they announced this. And on the day they announced it, Dylan McCaffrey announces not only that he's opting out, but that he's transferring. So this is, I mean, if you're opting out and transferring, you're actually just transferring, right? I mean, it's not like yeah. you're, because you can't go play. I mean, it's like, well, I'm not going to try to get a waiver to play right away. He's just transferring. So Joe Milton and Cade McNamara were the other guys in competition with Dylan McCaffrey. I think there was some reporting out there that maybe Dylan McCaffrey wasn't going to win the job. And then we know J.J. McCarthy's coming. Five-star guy who's like who's, who's Michigan's version of Kyle McCord. He's coming next year. But it's still a little surprising to see this. When we talked and did our Michigan preview, however long ago that was, and we talked to Aaron McMahon of M Live, you know, I think everybody thought, well, it's probably going to be Dylan McCaffrey. So I would guess now it's probably going to be Joe Milton, who's more of a big arm guy from Orlando. But Stephen, like that coming across the wire on this day, what'd you think of it? I mean, the opt-out thing is what it is, but the, the transfer part is the shocking part in that situation. Because you're right, it was the assumption that you know McCaffrey was going to be the starting quarterback, with you know, and then JJ McCarthy would probably be the guy who your places in at some point is the succeed his successor at that point. So I mean. Michigan's quarterback group isn't nearly as bad as Ohio State's was in 2019 going into that spring, but I don't think this is a the no one wants to lose a quarterback six weeks before you're supposed to start a regular season that for most of the offseason you thought was going to be the starter. 
I don't know if Dylan McCaffrey was sure that he was going to be the starter that he would have transferred. I don't, I don't know how often that happens, even in a COVID world, right? Yeah. I mean, he might have gotten some indication from things. So it doesn't mean that it's, yeah. it doesn't mean that it's good for Michigan. But, I mean, I'll be curious to see what the reporting, what comes out from the reporting up there. I'm sure we'll get a sense of that. I don't think they're dead. Right. I mean, Dylan McCaffrey, he played, I mean, he played last year. He was the next man up behind Shea Patterson last year. I don't think they're dead. I think Joe Milton might be as good as Dylan McCaffrey was going to be, or was going to beat him out anywhere. Maybe Cade McNamara. I don't know. So it's a little, it's like, it's weird. It's weird because of COVID because of now, instead of this happening before, like when Joe Burrow transferred before fall camp, instead of having it happen in August before August, it's happening in September where if things were normal, we'd be in week three of the regular season. That's what makes it so weird. Well, it also makes it weird that it happened on the day that everybody was celebrating oh, Big yeah. Ten football coming back. It was like, Big Ten football is back. Our starting quarterback left. Our presumed starting quarterback who might not have been the starting quarterback. Uh, Nathan, something I want to talk about with you, because you were the one who pointed this out to me and also mentioned it on Twitter where you gave your, your wife a nice retweet there. I noticed that. Get the get the get the publicity yeah. out there. Um, the Wisconsin, who just explain it. Lots of positive tests in the yes. Wisconsin football program. Uh, allegedly, so uh, the city. Well, of, but it, it's from a government it's thing. From it's a not source. Like, yeah, it's from an official source. So the city of Madison was putting out a statement, um, basically saying that the return of Big Ten football makes the campus less safer now because they know that people are going to congregate. They know there's going to be gatherings that people are going to get together to watch games. Even if there can't be attendance at the games, people are going to still try to get together or have parties. I mean, you're already seeing it on college campuses and they don't have the added excuse of these football games. So they're predicting that that's going to happen. And they're kind of trying to warn people not to do that, asking people not to do that. They also though snuck in a paragraph saying this also is unsafe for the student athletes and that Wisconsin's football team had already had 42 positive COVID cases. Now, not 42 current or not 42 in a very recent time frame. It didn't give a time frame. It just said that 42 players and staff members and coaches or whatever, 42 members of the team have tested positive for COVID at some point. I don't think they like provide any data to back that up, but they just said it in this press release. So um, it kind of, you know, Ohio State has not released its testing numbers. A lot of teams, a lot of programs have not released their testing numbers. And this is one of the reasons why probably because they don't want people to know that this sort of testing level is happening at some places. But it's, isn't that bad? I mean, I'm on here doing, I'm doing coach O impersonations because I feel like they're blase about how many LSU guys got it. But man, this is like a third of the Wisconsin football program. I mean, that's, and, and, and again, I don't like, I do not like that Ohio State does not release the testing numbers. I, I don't think that's right. And Mike DeWine doesn't think it's right, right? I mean, like we've talked about this. A lot of programs do. And then Lincoln Riley, Oklahoma was releasing numbers. Then Link, Lincoln Riley said, we're not going to release numbers any, anymore because we feel like it's a competitive disadvantage because not everybody's doing it. I think it should be uniform. I think it's a public health issue. And I, and I don't like that Ohio State's not doing it. But this, this, I mean, this number shocked me from a Big Ten program. And part of it is, okay, well, we're not at the point that they're going to get to, right? That they're not doing daily antigen tests right now. So what they are saying, we can play because we have this testing that we haven't yet started. I don't think having, I don't think they're going to have 42 positives on a team once they start the daily testing on September 30th, which is when they'll start it, Right. 
I think that would be a failure if that ha- if they somehow have daily testing and still have 42 positive cases. But I don't like that number so far. So I mean, my I, I don't know. Like I I'm I don't like it. And so I I I, w- I think every Big Ten team should tell us what the positive numbers are because that's too many. I think that's too many. But the thing that you were talking about, Nathan, that the people in the Madison, whoever they were, Madison Chamber of Commerce, was emphasizing, and this is what Gene Smith talked to us about in the end of the conference call with reporters on Wednesday, is he said he needs the media to help out with telling people, like, don't get COVID at your watch party. And that's like a real thing. This is like a, a college football is a social sport, might be the most social sport. And people are used to tailgating, but if you're not, you don't have to be at the, you're used to tailgating at your house, you're hanging out with your friends. And like, don't get COVID-19 because you watched an Ohio State football game with a bunch of people indoors. Please. If you're going to be indoors with each other, make it a small number, merge your bubbles, make it people that you know really well that you're merging bubbles, don't have a, a big giant group of people. And if you have a bunch of people inside, wear masks. I mean, like this, this can't be, there's too many stories Go, go Google, I think it was a Rhode Island wedding. Go, go Google what happened at the Sturgis motorcycle rally. I mean, and again, the idea is you get together in a big group and you can say, ah, I accept the risk. But you might leave that group and now you've infected somebody who goes, there, I, mean, I think it was the Rhode Island wedding. It's like somebody at that wedding, the, the pastor got it and then infected people at the church. Somebody at that wedding worked in a prison and infected the prison. Somebody else worked at an elder care home and went and infected people in the elder care home and six people died. So it's like, it's not just you. So like, this cannot be every Buckeye fan is like, woohoo, football, have 20 people at my house. And that's the super spreader environment. So like Gene Smith is telling us, I mean, we'll tell you anyway, can't do it. Please be smart. This is a community issue. It's not only about your individual risk tolerance, It's about if you get together, these are the super spreader environments where COVID is its most dangerous. So please be smart. Enjoy college football, but you've got to be smart about it. You've got to be smart about it. It's just going to make us all sick to our stomachs if we lose Buckeye fans because the Buckeyes tried to play. Oh, my God. Or if there are Buckeye fans out there infecting other people in the community because they watched an Ohio State football game. It's intolerable. Please don't do it. Please, please, please don't do it. Please be smart. Last question. Biggest hurdle from the 937. The biggest hurdle to the perfect season and the playoffs. I like that because we can take that any way you want to take it. You can't have a perfect season if you don't finish it. You can't have a playoffs if you don't get to the playoffs. Is the biggest hurdle, is it the secondary? Is it who's going to step up a receiver if the freshmen aren't ready? Or is it managing the virus itself and getting through the season? Nathan, what's the biggest hurdle for Ohio State getting to the playoff? I, I used to think it might be the virus, but now, again, with the, with the daily testing and the, the structure they put in place, I think it goes back on just football things. And if Sean Wade can't play, I don't know if this is a national championship defense. Steven, what's the biggest hurdle? Yeah, it's the secondary. Um, uh, the new testing has uh, it hasn't made me, you know, I'm not worrisome about, you know, that being a case, but less so when you can focus on football. It's got to be the secondary which Sean Wade decides not to come back. I still think it's Justin Fields and a positive test. I think he's so indispensable and that the idea of you're out for 21 days if you're positive. Um, and again, we don't like to say things. We don't like to create hypotheticals where we give COVID-19 to anybody, but that's just how important Justin Fields is and how young 
the people are behind him. And I, I don't know. And this, I'm sure, I, I'm, I would imagine we may very well end up dealing with this, not in a hypothetical, but a real world situation. If there is a team that is in the playoff race that has a very valuable player miss a game because of a positive test and they lose that game, how the committee will evaluate that. It was a big deal a couple of years ago when Clemson had Kelly Bryant get hurt and then they lost. And it was like, well, it doesn't really count. Kelly Bryant was hurt. Like, how do you deal with this? I don't know. Because again, if a guy has a positive test, he might not just miss one game. He might miss two or three. So what if you lose two games in there, but then as soon as your best player is back, now you're awesome again. What do you do? I, I don't, I don't know what the right, what the right solution to that is. It might I, depend on who you lose to. Because if you lose a game where you can make an argument that they might have lost the game anyway, if like if Ohio State loses to Penn State, you might be able to make the argument that Penn State could have pulled it off anyway. But if Ohio State loses to, I don't know, uh, Purdue without Justin Fields, and it's very obvious that they would have won that game if Justin Fields would have played. I mean, any positive test is a minimum three games missed if it happens during the season because yeah. it's 21 days. So um, you can't miss. And if it happens on a game day, it might be four games. So then what do you do? So I mean, like, that's it to me. And there's not, I don't even know. I mean, would, would yeah. you apply that threshold to, is Garrett Wilson that important? Is Wyatt Davis that important? Is Tyreek Smith or Zach Harrison or Chris Olave that important? I don't know. But Justin Field sure as heck is. So to me, it's like, it's like keeping that guy. And it's one of those, we would say it anyway. Oh, well, your quarterback, your Heisman candidate quarterback has to be healthy. Right? That, you would say that yeah. any season. We said that all last year because they didn't have a backup quarterback. But healthy in the 2020 football season means something different than it normally does. Seven Banks or Cam Brown might be that important if Sean Wayne doesn't come back. They might be yeah. second and third on the list of guys that they can't afford to have that happen to. So I, I just think that – I think that's the thing. So we'll see. We'll keep our fingers crossed. We'll write about it. We'll talk about it. We'll text about it. We appreciate you guys hanging out with us. We didn't get to all the questions, but we got to a lot of them. There are some specifics about exactly, again, how all this is going to work that we will continue to go over, but we're also going to continue to talk a lot about football. So if you are a tech subscriber and you want to send us questions, great. If you want to join the tech subscription, shoot a text to 614-350-3315 and you'll get a text back that allows you to sign up for a 14-day free trial, and it's $3.99 a month after that. Make sure you're reading us at cleveland.com slash OSU. Make sure you're dropping. We could use some fresh reviews. If you're feeling good about us, if you're coming back to the pod, we could use some fresh reviews at the uh, Apple Podcast Store. So we always appreciate those. So it was fun. It felt, I don't know, this felt, this felt the most normal yet, right? This felt like a more normal Big Wednesday pod that we went two hours and we had some football talk. Did you guys feel that? A little bit, yeah. Yeah, we were getting ready to get into it about the running back situation for a second. Yeah. I felt back at home. Yeah. Woo, baby. All right. Let's have some fun. Let's keep our fingers crossed. Let's all be safe, and let's get ready for some football. Uh, by the way, they, they see, keep saying October 23rd and 24th. Somebody's playing Friday night. And when they did the revised schedule last time, they put Ohio State on Thursday night. I mean – Whenever the schedule comes out, and I, from Barry, what Barry Alvarez said, it'll be probably by the end of this week. I'm not going to be at all surprised if that first Ohio State game's on Friday night, right? Wouldn't be a shocker. Mm -hmm. Ohio State Rutgers to restart this. God, just what we need. All right, whatever happens, we'll talk about it here. For Nathan and Stephen, I'm Doug. And that was Buckeye Talk. Mm -hmm.